You know, we haven't recorded since Phantom of Paradise. Yeah, I was gone. I was gone. Yes, you were. You were gone. We did the Matrix before then. <laughs> um, but it was a good night for the people who came out. You know, yeah. great showing. It was uh, a, a energetic crowd, I would say, for Phantom of Paradise. And now, I think more people are showing it. Is the thing so very oh, excited? Wow. Well, like yeah. New Be- uh, New Bev showing it in September. Really? Yeah. I'm not saying they copied us, but they could have. Um, <laughs> I haven't looked at the September calendar yet. No, yeah, because 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 there's a fan of Paradise group on Facebook that I joined because we did a screening of it, yeah. and they posted about the new Beverly one. People were so excited by it, and yeah, but it was it was a great time, and hopefully we'll do more. There's there's talks about nothing concrete yet. yet. Concrete, yeah, but there there is talks, so hopefully we'll do more screenings there. Um, but I also I just. Uh, read brian de palma's like interviews mm-hmm. like that because uh there's like a you know that interview book series that people like well they'll compile all these interviews of all yeah. these directors i read the de palma one interesting it's interesting because he's <laughs> everyone's just like i feel like everyone that like interviews him is so confused like by <laughs> hit, by by him in a way because like it, it's like he, he gives off a different like vibe than what his movies are yeah. and it's funny just like seeing the 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 journey of just like well your critics are hating this movie too what are your thoughts and he's just like i'm tired of that <laughs> like it's like yeah. so you kill you did this you did this in body double you did this and and dress to kill like when's this becoming an issue in your life what's your therapist saying it's like <laughs> things like that and the uh, palm was like i'm done with that well they always uh, say that they think like people that are like demented make horror movies and thrillers yeah. but like everybody says like Wes Craven was one of the nicest guys the nicest ever. guys like, Craven was Craven yeah. was one of and the nicest they even asked guys. Craven at one point I think it was like it was like uh, Craven, where you get- ha- Craven hated horror movies yeah it was like well, we, they asked him where he got his ideas and he was like well just look at the news yeah <laughs> well that's just, and that's yeah. what De Palma kind of yeah. says in the thing too he's just like, like everyone kind of criticized me for this but I like, just filtered it into a movie like yeah. it's not you know so I didn't the, create this shit like, where do you get your ideas from he's like it's my subconscious <laughs> but um yeah, so I've 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 read um, De Palma's name. I've read Be- Bigelow's. Are there is there like a because uh, I'm trying to do this more. Are there like a direct a directors that you would want to do a deep dive in or something? Like is in find a book like Could that. Could be find or? a book. Could just be his movie. So I also I'm re- I'm watching trying to watch all like Soderbergh's movies or who like I'm, yeah. like I, I start I found like a bunch of shorts that he or some shorts he had done that are like buried in his like website well, he's got a bunch of shit on there yeah that's how i watch that, Ra- that raiders cut's really interesting yeah but there was one he did called your life as a spy that i just watched and yeah. it's like buried in like the 2018 seen it and it's like three parts but it's oh. basically like and apparently it was like more high budget than what it looks like because it seems like he just took shots of yeah. like him traveling but like so there's always like no one in frame and it's essentially like supposed to be like you're a spy and all the narration is done through like like phone like voicemail messages. Oh, that's interesting. But it's all about like themes of like isolation, yeah. and it's done three parts where it's like showing like traveling or hotel rooms yeah. or hallways of like a spot like like a tape recorder going. It's very interesting. It's three minute, three or four minutes, but it's really good. I want to watch that uh, the Command Z that just. It's yeah. on his website. Yeah, yeah. Which but I, I think you have to pay for. It. Well, I think the money goes. You pay for it, but okay. it goes to some charity or something. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah we were wondering. Tom started talking about that because like yeah. Full Circle just dropped randomly. On, on Max, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, just like out of nowhere, and then Command Z. But yeah, but he did it like this. It was like the same week. I think the first yeah, episode did. or two yeah, of Full Circle yeah, we, we dropped. No, yeah. And now here's all of Command Z on my website. <laughs> but yeah, is there a director yeah. that comes to mind that like you like like you love but haven't like fully completed? Hitchcock, probably. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, yeah. There's a lot out there. It's going to take the rest of my life if I ever get close. I have that Bergman box back home, too. Yeah. And I, at some point, I want to 
chip away at that. But yeah, I yeah. think there's a few of those that I'll probably never get around to. I mean, it's just there's too many, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Hitchcock. It's like because you'll never get all the like because he had he has lost films yeah, lost, too. But like, I wouldn't count those. But it's like, like anything that's available. Like, yeah, he has like 50 movies basically, yeah. uh, if not. And I have more. that uh, that one DVD, that shitty DVD collection. You know, that's all. Oh, like, yeah, those prints are you, all. You buy the, for six ninety nine <laughs> at the Walmart bin, and I watched a lot of those. Yeah. So I I did do a decent chunk of his. Yeah, I want to rewatch. <laughs> I want to rewatch Thirty Nine Steps because yeah, that's, the Criterion that's, actually did a remaster, a remaster, <laughs> and that's but that's how I watched yeah. that movie. Same. And I haven't watched Same. it since, but I really liked it. I love, but that's, I think Steps. that's a sign of a good movie because like that yeah, sound quality, no matter is how bad it is, <laughs> it's still good. God, because yeah. it was like it was those DVDs. It, they had like a lot of those DVD yeah. cases that were like it was it was in one big box like that, and it was just in sleeves. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a spaghetti western collection like that too. Back yeah. home, it has like fifty spaghetti western yeah. films. I have that. I have, let's see, so it's I have a kung fu one too. I think the three that come to mind is Hitchcock does that. I had a fairy tale theater, which we've talked about on the show yeah, before, yeah. was that way. And then Twenty One Jump Street, the show, the show oh, was it a bootleg though? The, no, the it fairy tale theater. Was, or, uh, no, fairy tale theater was real. Oh. That was a real one. Release. I don't know if it's like Mill Creek or something. Uh, that, but like, that's who does a lot of these. It's yeah. probably Mill Creek. Yeah. But yeah, tw- but Twenty One Jump Street. It was probably the same ones. Twenty One Jump Street had that and it was the same thing oh, and it's okay. that show's wild i've never seen an episode like it's wild. i mean depth's good in it. it it's like but it's like it's so different because he's such a like a like kind of becoming a heartthrob is the thing yeah. and that just doesn't sound like johnny depp what's I mean, like in a different like a teen beat heartthrob is right. basically what i mean yeah he's now i think he's been a heartthrob <laughs> up and down um uh over the years in certain ways mm-hmm. but yeah twin jump shot he's like it's like it's it's such a weird just because the the movies now have become so have, have become what people more recognize for the sh- like it's more recognized now for our generation for the movies than right. that show is yeah. the thing. Well, do you and think so they could have different tone? Sure, I was gonna say, do you think they could act could have actually done that tone like and made a feature film? No, yeah, but that's the whole thing with yeah. with movies or TV shows to movies yeah. is that you almost it. Because the TV shows they're so old, it's like. What about like Miami Vice? Though I think that's probably an exception. That's the only. Yeah. That's one of the few ones that that kind of. But I think even then, it's it's. Man, a different tone. I feel like it. It, it it's, feels like a little more hard edged. I agree on that. Yeah. Than than the, the show yeah, is I the agree thing because like it's not as like. It's vibrant in a different way, right? If that makes sense, yeah. it's like it kind of like. If if anyone else would done try to like do a legit show, like you're yeah. not seeing them. Well, it feels like it was made Miami Vice made in post nine eleven era. Exactly. No, I agree. I agree. And like and and with if it was like a like a Starsky and Hutch remake where it's like we're gonna do the same thing but a comedy because it, yeah. like, it's like or well, even like the well, I mean, I think Dukes of Hazzard probably was somewhat similar to yeah. totally to the maybe. Yeah. But that's thing with Miami Vice is that like it it says like hey we're gonna take the the stuff you know about Miami Vice yeah. the the colors and the music and we're not going to do any of that. <laughs> we're going to do a, really, a good, a good movie, a good story. Um, anyway, enough about that. Speaking of just future, <laughs> I, guess, I don't know. I was going to say rough waters. Rough waters. To, there we go. <laughs> there we go. It's going to be rough, my segue. The rough waters. <laughs> but I forgot what that was in uh, con- the, relation to yeah. whatever comment. But, uh, but I am Brand Sparks. I'm Div Glenn Forth. And this is the Nation Podcast. And this month we've been discussing the dystopian genre. We don't really, we haven't really done sci-fi genres that much on the show, and we decided to do dystopian movies. And uh, I guess David, we talked about the Matrix last week. What's kind of some stuff we've talked about with this genre? 
Um, I mean, I think world building is obviously a big, yeah, yeah. important factor, which we will discuss yeah, today yeah. <laughs> in, in the, to an extent. But uh, I, uh, I think it can deal with like class, the class system, mm-hmm. um, or it can deal with like it can deal with like modern issues. Yeah, um, kind of like we were talking about with the monster genre, almost. Yeah, but yeah, but through this guise of like a futuristic society, kind of point out flaws in our modern society, but through this. Yeah, Me, you know, metaphor. I guess it's very like thematic, oh. strong them- thematic things. But we're talking about sometimes a lot of these movies are kind of warnings of the future. Is the thing um, of what and the future I think can be. Waterworld is certainly that. I, very much so. <laughs> but I think we've talked about it with Children of Men and and some movies. In some cases, Seconds is the only one that has only fit into this category. Of like, there's some shred of hope at the end of it. If that, like, some some like silver lining sure. of like, yeah. Short of men, kind of, it's it's a downer, but also there's hope is kind well, of. I mean, the baby, to it. you know, it's, yeah. it's there. So yeah, Matrix, there's kind of a hope to it all yeah. in some way. And this one, I think this one as well. Second one was kind of just a downbeat of an ending. <laughs> um, but but I think it's kind of, it's, it's also kind of fascinating. That's that's the one that's most downbeat. When that's the one that's so like was so in the present, if that makes sense, like in the moment when all these other ones are so distant. Sure. Yeah. And I don't sure, know if there's sure. any correlation between that at all. Well, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um. Uh, it was it was it was a, almost like trying to be a warning. Like this is where we're at right now. Yeah, we got to pivot. Is what second says. The rest are like we're here, but we got we're not there yet. But we could get there if we keep going yeah. this path. Um, but yeah, with this we talked about that the thematic elements, the world building, um, the kind of how we can express what we're feeling about like very very political kind of issues in sure. a way. Um, and also with the kind of dystopian society, a lot of times a society a society pops up after a traumatic or a, a a event of some kind. Sometimes yeah. these events are described and told, and some just kind of happen, and you're left with not knowing how everything came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little bit of a mix of it all. Um, and today's movie, with all these things, it's kind of talking about is Waterworld and. Even Waterworld, there's also this idea of like of a society popping up right. from the ashes and creating these new rules and everything. Um, but yeah, Waterworld, I've <laughs> there's so much to say about Waterworld. No, um, now Waterworld was released on was in 1995 and it was directed by Kevin Reynolds, produced by Kevin Costner, John Davis, Charles Gordon, Lawrence Gordon. Stars Kevin Costner as the Mariner. This kind of lone drifter who sails the the now open world which is basically full of water the polar cap ice caps have melted and the world has been overtaken by water um sea levels rose and every continent went under underwater basically and human human civilization is essentially now floating communities known as atolls and it's basically hundreds of years and there's only this thing this mythological thing called dry land that people are like some sometimes such search for basically and the mariner is this drifter who pops up at one of these atolls and essentially kind of finds out this young girl has the tattoo of a map to dry land yeah potential map potential map to dry land and she's being chased or they're being trying to be found out by the deacon who is the kind of villain that leads this almost like cult-like group on the waters known as the smokers your villains <laughs> your henchmen, chain smokers because <laughs> they're chain smokers and there's more about all this other stuff that we'll go into yeah, like yeah. kind of the the environmentalism of it all right 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 um but it ends up essentially the basic plot is 
the Mariner and 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 a uh, Anola, uh, the young girl, and her kind of mother figure, played played by Jean Triplehorn, uh, Helen, uh, go on a quest to go find dry land, trying to beat the smokers to it. I guess there's only no there's no ticking t- t- time clock there, but they're trying to get there and get away from the smokers, and the smokers are chasing after them. Basically, yeah. basic plot. I um, mean, it, it very much like Mad Max on the water. <laughs> that's gonna come into play. It's gonna come into play. Um, so with with the Mad Max in the War, because that's how, I mean, but it's I mean that's I I'd assume that was the like the 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 logline as in not like a logline as you have screen no owners. idea. Oh, okay, it's like kind of when they would go speed on a you know yeah, speed on speed a, on a boat yeah or die hard in a yeah know. die hard die hard a bus yeah yeah die hard in a boat yeah. yeah um so with all that what what is your history with Waterworld because I I doubt it's as Probably not as extensive. In depth as mine. So I had not seen this until February of this year when I had yeah, COVID. Well, when I, when I tested positive for COVID for the first oh, yeah, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was binging a bunch of movies, and I was probably on... I probably had downed a bottle of Dayquil in about 48 hours, so... <laughs> Waterworld. This was the, movie, the Waterworld the movie I went to. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd heard Legend, of course, and I'm sure yeah. we'll discuss all this about how much of a bomb it was and blah, 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 and how it was, like, the most expensive movie at the time and mm-hmm. how it didn't live up to the hype, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And um, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Maybe, maybe it was not having those expectations, not seeing those news clippings, yeah. you know, and going into it later and knowing that it has somewhat of a cold audience now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I was really intent. And so that, this was only my second time seeing it. And yeah. then I watched, I watched the theatrical cut that time, and I watched the Ulysses cut this time, which, which is a three-hour cut, yeah, three basically. Hour cut. Which is the count, yeah. But I, but I had heard on Reddit, everybody was like, "You have to watch the Ulysses cut." So I had waited to yeah. watch it because I wanted to see that cut first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I, when I was sick, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna watch the theatrical." Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. And it was the Ultra HD, so it looked, it looked looks good great. Too. Yeah. Um. So what, my, what's your history? <laughs> my history of Waterworld. I have lived through it all, David. I have lived through the the hatred of Waterworld from 1995 <laughs> at the the young age of three and a half <laughs> to four, um, just to date me. Um, I mean, that was the year I was born. So, <laughs> oh man, you weren't around. <laughs> that was not so. But I do remember my parents talking about this. Yeah. So at a very young age, and and, and I don't remember if it was in theaters, but I remember we had. Again, I don't know. If, I guess we're, we passed the the I guess statute of limitations on this with cable. Uh, we had a thing called the Scrambler, which oh, is yeah, basically yeah, yeah. you got like the, right. the movie pay per view channels for for free. And what they would do now, you just like go, I want to go watch this movie and yeah. do that. Back then, it was like it was just on a loop, and you would you could pay for that and watch it in that kind of specific period. Or if it was us, we just had the loop, so it would just play constantly. And I don't know why. My mom's just like I've. Seen, my mom's just like I've seen that movie more times than I can count, and I don't need to. <laughs> when she was prepping, we we're prepping this episode, um, and she, was like, oh, she didn't have to revisit she was like, it. Like, for- I've seen that movie so many times because you played it all the time. <laughs> oh, so, this was a childhood favorite. As a childhood favorite, of my, one of my favorite tra- favorite movies as a child, and which people might think it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so we, we it was on pay per view all the time, so we taped it, and yeah. then once you tape it, I have yeah. it. Then you just run. I have it forever, or in that case, where that eight years. Um, (laughs) and and I just I I loved it. I loved the like world of it. I I bought the action figures for it. They had action figures. Action figures for it. Yeah, they had like the. It's like I had a Mariner one. I know. I don't know if I had the boat. I think the boat might be too expensive. But I know I had like the Sea Doo one, like the the jet skis one that were really cool. Like one of the villain people or the all sick. Yeah, because I think I might have had Deacon. 
So, oh no way! Like, does have, I don't. I don't. Did it have sure. his likeness? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it might have actually. But like with the because I thought it was so cool with the jet skis. That was in the period when like the jet skis had the like, it was the like uh, the the kind of steering was like not like built in. It was like right. that weird like, how it, like can like go down and up. This is the yeah. thing. I don't know how to explain it. I don't. I, I've never, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I've never, never ridden jet ski before. Um, <laughs> I have. They're pretty fun. But it was kind of like, like, like a little more like uh, sleeker, where it was like you could. Yeah. Kinda, and so yeah, I thought you could do things like dive into water. <laughs> Apparently, you couldn't. <laughs> Learned that on the documentary that I watched today for this movie. They were just like, yeah, we had to make those because that's not possible. I was like, ah, oh, damn. I thought it was real. Um, so I watched it a lot growing up, and then I went to Universal a lot in Orlando. Yeah. Growing up, so they they always had the boat there which i was like this is amazing they had the boat here um in orlando they didn't have the show at that point the show didn't last for a while in orlando for some reason yeah because for some reason i thought i had seen it in orlando but i but i looked it up and it i it closed must not before have. you yeah, yeah. It probably closed yeah. before you yeah. uh but in hollywood they've had it for you know they still have it right they yeah. still have yeah. it and i think um i mean it's I almost it, i just seen a clip of it or something and thought i'd seen it. and it's it uh it's opened like multiple times i know yeah. it's I mean, they just opened one in Beijing two years ago. Yeah, and I think they even actually created a whole water world area in in Beijing. In Beijing, oh wow! I uh, think Universal Park is, there. Is that a big uh, so big ticket item? It over looks there? like I'm going to Beijing sometime <laughs> soon. Um, no, so yeah, I love the boat, and they always kind of. I didn't realize they played the music because the music now rewatching it, how much Universal actually uses the music so much. Their theme I mean, park. It's a great score. It's a great score, and we'll talk more about that yeah. too. Um, yeah, that, and then also a more like kind of personal story off of that because I even get like I remember I was in, in college and I had like a write a paper about movies and it was my English teacher, and I, remember, I don't know why we had to do movies or why I had to do movies, but I wrote it, and I was like talking the movies I grew up on. He's like, oh yeah, I love this movie. He's like writing the comments, and I write Waterworld. He goes like, he writes like Reddick. Why on earth would you wa- like Waterworld? I was like, <laughs> dude, what are we doing here? Why are you judging my tastes? You're forty. I'm tw- I'm nineteen or whatever. But I think a lot of people probably had had that like memory of it right yes and had never revisited it i think it's the memory of it being blown up out of portions of being a bad movie right um and, and then they and just kind of left it back there and left, yeah. yeah they're not like me who committed <laughs> for years um and then the personal story of it more personal than that i actually met uh the producer of it chuck gordon oh no way charles gordon he was actually an alabama graduate oh cool um he passed away a few years ago i think during i think he passed away in 2020 oh man um um but he he was like 73 but he did a lot of stuff he did Waterworld. world he did like october sky um uh I forget field, about that field of field of dreams die hard 2 he was an ep on die hard 1 as well um the rocketeer um but he was a super nice guy and i remember i met him I met him at, a, at an Alabama event and everyone's like, Oh, I love Field of Dreams or I love Die Hard. And I, I was like, I have to go ask him. <laughs> and I walked up to him and I was like, Hey. And I was like, I just wanted to say, I really love Waterworld. And he looked at me and he was almost like surprised that someone came up and said, And he goes, You know, they never gave us credit <laughs> <laughs> because they always said it was a bomb, but it wasn't a bomb. And that is he talked about that but he was like he's like everyone told us it didn't make money but it made money and he's like and i don't know why people still hold on to that he talked about how like thank god we're here we were in hawaii because that's what made the like the the production just enjoyable because it's like we go shoot out in the water then go to hawaii and enjoy the the sights but he talked about it, and he talked very like fondly about it. it was it was tough but he talked fondly about it and 
And so I could tell like it meant like it was one that meant a lot to him. I think he's always like hurt that like people shit on it so much yeah. when he's like, it's not bad. Like it's like, I'll tell you if it's bad. I don't think it's bad. Um, and so like I talked to him like 20 minutes about it. I think he was just like shocked that someone would ask about Waterworld. <laughs> that was me. Um so I always love it. There is a there's a little bit of bias to it. I know there's it's a flawed movie, and yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that here. Um and it is like because one of our friends is like, I'd rather watch Mad Max Road War. I was like, okay, cool. Like, I get it. I it, mean, I would too, but it's I still better. enjoy this it's movie. It's better. Yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna yeah. say it's not, but like just to to diss it, like, oh, it's just Mad Max. It, it takes I away. Think, I don't think it's just that. I don't even, I, I, yeah, yeah. And so I don't think you can look at the world building in this movie and, and just write it off as a Mad Max. Claim. I agree. Yeah. I like agree. They, they, they thought this fucking world through. And they almost thought about too much. <laughs> yeah. Is kind of the thing. <laughs> yeah. Like that's where I think it's so interesting. Why the, I think the show has lasted so long in, in Universal Studios mm-hmm. is because at least in Hollywood and all those places, is that when you break it down, it's a very simple world and a very right. simple story. I just think, it gets complicated a lot in this movie, and we'll and we'll we'll talk about yeah. it. But let's talk about the history of how it got production because sure. there's it's a long story. Many people have covered it. I try my best to kind of do it uh, to condensed to get as much stuff as possible, but also condensed. Um, a lot of this information came from the documentary, feature length documentary on the Waterworld Blu-ray set from Arrow. I think it's called Maelstrom: The Odyssey of Waterworld. I think it's called. Um, yeah. So our story starts in 1986 with. Peter uh, Rader, a recent graduate from Harvard, and Rader was in Los Angeles and was trying to was working to be a screenwriter and director. Peter met with Roger Corman producer Bre- Brad Cravoy, and Cravoy had been working with Corman for several years. And as many as you know, Corman was known for making low budget genre movies that turned to profit. And Cravoy told Peter that if you could come up with a Mad Max ripoff, that he would he I would let he would allow you to direct it. Because to them, at Corman and this kind of low budget thing, they saw post-apocalyptic movies as really easy to make because they were cheap because uh, all your production design was trash and you would shoot out in the desert and it was just like some cars or whatever. And all these movies were trying to emulate George Miller's Mad Max. And he was like, "Go if you can give me an idea for that, I'll let you make it as your first feature. So Peter he wanted to make something more than just Mad Max. He wanted to make it unique. And he says he was either into sailing at this point, or he was just like kind of walking around the Marina one day. And he came up with the idea, like what about Mad Max on water? <laughs> and Peter went back to Cravoy and pitched it to him. And Cravoy was so upset. He's like, are you insane? This movie's gonna be so expensive. It's gonna cost $5 million to make this movie. Five million? $5 million. This Keep that 80, number in your head. Is, what was this again? 80, 86. <laughs> Five million dollars. Keep that number in your head, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. But Peter wanted to. Uh, Peter said, "You know what? I'm going to make it anyway. I'm going to write it anyway. You don't. You don't want to make it. That's fine." And he began writing it on spec, meaning he was going to work on it for free in hopes of selling right. the movie at a later date. Besides Mad Max, Peter began lifting from biblical stories and mythology stories. The Mariner, the film's lead character, originally named Morgan, uh, <laughs> and he was a reluctant savior, a man who only wants to survive but decides to save the others around him. The character of Helen was named after Helen of Troy. I, I just put that together when we were discussing. <laughs> yes, that's why I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, and Enola was named after Enola Gay, the plane that dropped the bomb on Hiroshima at the end of World War II. Oh, holy shit. Uh, she was also named Enola because Enola spelled backwards is alone. And like the Mariner, she has this unknown past that she just was kind of found, mm-hmm. essentially. So Peter 
also said he was inspired by Western movies. He saw he saw it as like a Western on the sea. Specifically, Shane was his kind of big movie. He he uses a big oh, reference for it. Um, he's the first thing he ever wrote for the movie was the film's opening scene of the Mariner turning his urine into water. <laughs> he said it was the one scene that stayed intact from the first draft of the, of the script to the filming because he thought it was so interesting to show this man surrounded by water, but there's not a drop of water to drink. And so yeah. he uses his urine to do it. The only difference was in his original version, there was like a kidney as a part of like the Mariner's contraption that like made the like urine filtered it or something? filtered uh, it out. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Peter's script also had the villain of Deacon, but he was portrayed a little differently. Originally named Neptune. His henchmen were mutated humans who had things like crab claws for hands and other deformities. I'm not gonna lie, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, you know what it is? It's Pirates of the Caribbean, right. Dead, Dead Man's Chest, chest and all the sequels. Um, I believe either the movie was called this or a big kind of part of the film uh, of like where Dryland was at was Water's End. So I think he called it Water's End initially instead oh. of Waterworld. After finishing the script, he somehow got to like an established writer. He wouldn't say who. Um, it was someone he, he had a mutual friend with, and apparently the writer said it was bad. So Peter put it on the shelf and began working on other projects. He directed several low-budget action films in the realm of like the Roger Corman movies that he was talking about earlier. In 1989, the script caught the attention of two young producers, Andy Licht and Jeffrey Mueller, who had produced teen movies like License to Drive, starring Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, and Little Monsters, starring Fred Savage and Howie Mandel. They were wanting to produce something more adult, more mature, and they had a working relationship with John Davis, who was the producer of Predator. And Davis would get in, and Davis would get involved, and he would bring in Lawrence Gordon and his company Largo. And Lawrence Gordon had also produced Predator with Davis, <laughs> but he also produced several other Walter. Hill, he produced several Walter Hill movies because because Hill wrote was he writer on Predator? Is what it was, or is that I'm thinking of Alien? Yeah, yeah, Alien. Um, sorry, I missed that. Yeah, so. But he, he had produced multiple Walter Hill films, right? Yeah. Because yeah, he so produced he, like The Driver. And, so he, yeah. he produced Driver, Streets of Fire, The Warriors, 48 Hours. Oh, shit. He also produced other movies like Die Hard, The Rocketeer, Field of Dreams. And that's what his brother also did working in the same company. He did Rocketeer, Field of Dreams, Die Hard 2. Um, and Chuck became involved in Waterworld as, as with uh, Lawrence's company. Because there were so many producers involved in this now, the production grew. And that smaller, budgeted, quick movie... <laughs> became bigger uh chuck gordon said the film's original budget when they came on was going to be 60 million dollars and it was around this time the script got to kevin reynolds and kevin was fascinated by the idea of a world covered in water he said the moment that he that made him want to do the movie was in there on dry land at the end of the film spoiler alerts for for water world if you haven't watched already um that when they're on dry land they find a plaque that reads mount everest and he felt it was a nice little Planet of the Apes yeah. ending. And he said, that's why I want to do the movie. Some backs around Kevin Reynolds. He was a USC grad who had written the original script for Red Dawn. I didn't know that. Yeah, which John Milius would later yeah. rewrite and direct in 1984. And after that, Reynolds would direct his first feature called Vandango, a coming-of-age type movie about five Texas college students who decided on one last road trip after graduation. Vandango was actually produced by Steven Spielberg and his company Amblin, uh, but Spielberg, for some reason, uh, would be disappointed in the movie for, and, and they'd kind of have like a falling out. So he basically, Amblin barely gave it a release is what it was. It only made $91,000 off a $7 million budget. Damn. But Spielberg liked Reynolds's thesis film. 
is that it was, and that's why I gave him the money. But one of the film stars was Kevin Costner. Mm. And his first leading role was in Van Dango. And it's actually a really good movie. I liked it. it yeah, like I a, think you remember it. You like it's, like a, it's like an early kind of like Linklater vibe. Oh, cool. Because it's 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 Costner and it's Judd Nelson's in it. And they're they're all about to it's like American graffiti if it was Texas is kinda how I say it. Because they're all about to like one's about to get married, one's yeah. about to go off to Vietnam, one's about to go do a job, and so they're doing this one last hurrah to like celebrate their friendship. But Costner is the lead role. And Reynolds said that Costner originally auditioned for his U.S. thesis film, but he didn't cast him. Later, when he was casting his first feature, Costner auditioned again. Reynolds remembered him and liked him. And so they would be on, do, do the movie together. And Reynolds and Costner would then continue to work together throughout the years, with Reynolds serving as an uncredited second unit director on Costner's directorial debut, Dancing with Wolves. They would officially reunite, though, after Dancing with Wolves on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And by this point which is like six years later yeah. after Van Dango. Costner is one of the biggest names in Hollywood. He did, he did the untouchables at this point, 87, which blew, which I think blew him in the mainstream, basically blew up in the mainstream. Um, and then he does dance the wolves, Robin hood and JFK. And basically these movies, cause they're such big productions. Yeah. And so like they're, they're epics and long. He only had a few days in between all these movies, like for wow. time off basically. Um, I remember liking Robin Hood as a kid. I never seen Robin Hood. Oh, really? Wow, it's surprising people yeah. that I haven't seen Robin Hood. Um, actually, I probably wa- I, we had that on VHS. I've already watched yeah. that quite a few times. So basically, these projects were com- becoming so big for him, and he was basically just doing only this. And I, it'll come into play a little bit later. But like his family, like his his he had a wife and kid at home. I think he I think his parent his wife was getting a little upset by the or was not enjoying him constantly being away from movies. Understandably. But tempers would flare between Costner and Kevin Reynolds during the making of Robin Hood Men, or I would say Robin Hood Men tights, <laughs> during the making of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. That's the Robin Hood I did see a lot of. Um, some of it was possibly due to Robin Hood's pro- post-production process. Either the studio or Costner, I think Costner a lot of times, uh, they would, or the studio through Costner, would get involved wanting to boost Costner's performance so that Alan Rickman, who played the sheriff, uh, would not steal the movie away from Costner. Costner and I mean, Rickman, man. Come yeah, on. Costner and Reynolds also had disagreements over Costner's accent in the movie. With Reynolds being like, "Just play it straight," but Costner would try an English accent, and it's just kind of, it goes it goes in and out apparently in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, Costner also felt Reynolds' script revisions were downplaying Robin Hood uh, as a character. Uh, Reynolds would then leave the movie before it com- was completed, and Costner would finish post production on the film. Wow. So Reynolds left weeks before, sometimes I guess maybe months before. Didn't come to the premiere, just kind of like, I'm done with it. Damn. So needless to say, when Reynolds heard through the grapevine that Kevin Costner was interested in oh, the script no. of Waterworld, Reynolds was no longer interested in Waterworld. So Kevin Costner met with Chuck Gordon to talk about the script, and Gordon didn't think Costner would be interested in it since it was like a popcorn action movie. That's kind of how they were seeing it. And Costner said he would only do the movie under two conditions. One is that Chuck Gordon would be the producer of the movie, the lead producer of the film. And two, that Kevin Reynolds would direct it. Now, with Costner involved, this movie would become, it would move to Universal Pictures because it was not longer going to be a $60 million movie. It was going to be much bigger because he's <laughs> one of the biggest stars in the world at this point. Right. Uh, it's a blockbuster. Universal wanted to have either, reportedly, wanted to have Robert Zemeckis or Lawrence Kasdan to direct it. Oh, but, interesting. But Costner apparently stood strong and said, I want Kevin Reynolds. 
So Chuck and Lawrence were tasked with getting these two men together to make this movie. So the Gordons and Kevin Reynolds would travel to visit Costner on the set of Bodyguard. They, I think it was in Lake Tahoe. They flew up there. Chuck told them he didn't care if he had to lock them in a hotel room to air out their grievances, but they weren't leaving until they did. <laughs> so Costner and Reynolds would agree to make amends and agree to make the movie. But Universal had Costner lined up to make Lawrence Kasdan's new Western Wyatt Earp. So Waterworld would have to be put on hold for him to go make Wyatt Earp. So Reynolds went off and made uh, Rapa Nui, a historical drama that took place on Easter Island, which Costner also co-produced with him. Oh, wow. So as the development for Waterworld progressed, Reynolds began making some changes to the script. He wanted to show that humans caused Waterworld to happen because of their choices. He wanted to strengthen the environmental themes of it all, and he wanted to cut some of the outlandish stuff in the script, like the Mariner having a horse on his boat. <laughs> Peter Rader, the film screenwriter, was so new to the industry that he didn't realize that screenwriters could get fired once the script was bought. And Reynolds called up Peter and told him they were going to bring in a new writer that had experience writing larger movies. And looking back on it, Peter understands it was the right choice. And he appreciated Reynolds for actually calling him to tell him. I think I read that he never met Costner, though, as the oh, writer. Wow. I don't know how true that is, but that's what I read in one of the interviews. By the end of it, Peter had written seven, seven different drafts of the production company that was going to make the movie. Uh, and they would bring in David Toohey on the... Th- uh, on the film to rewrite the script. And Tui had recently written the script for The Fugitive mm-hmm. was the thing. Um, when it came to casting, they cast Gene Triplehorn, who was getting kind of big after The Firm and some movies like that. Um, they ended up offering the role of Deacon to Gary Busey, John Malkovich, <laughs> Gary Oldman, and Lawrence Fishburne, apparently. And then Dennis Hopper took it. I mean, all interesting that, choices. What a list. All dude, interesting choices. Gene Gary Busey in this room. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong, I love Dennis Hopper in this, but picture Gary Busey in this role cracks yeah. me up. And then uh, for Anola, it was Tina Margarino who played the role. And she, uh, they said her audition was just, she was so more mature than everyone else that kind of came into uh, the room. And she had been in, in uh, Andre, which was a, a SEAL movie, if you ever saw that. And that was a kid's movie I remember seeing. Uh, Karina Karina, which was a Whoopi Goldberg movie with Ray Liotta. Um, but Waterworld was a very big film. She later starred in Napoleon Dynamite. Right. <laughs> I didn't uh, realize years that. Years later. Caitlin pointed that out. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point of dynamite. Yeah. She, was, she was like, she recognized her face. And I was like, I have no idea. And then yeah. she, she, when she showed me, I was like, oh, I see it now. So because 90% of the movie was going to be shot on water, director Kevin Reynolds decided he should start reaching out to people for advice on how to tackle a movie that was mostly on water. And one of those first calls was to the man who produced his first feature, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> because of the infamous production on Jaws, Spielberg was the poster child for the issues of filming on water. Yeah, I've heard this story. And Reynolds called him up and asked, do I want to shoot on the water? And Spielberg said, you might. I'll never do it again. And I wouldn't. And basically said, I wouldn't do it if I were you. I think one one other quote I heard was that Reynolds asked, like, he's like, uh, I wanted some advice on shooting on the water. He was like, here's my advice. Don't shoot on water. <laughs> Um, Reynolds also uh, went and talked to one of Spielberg's early mentors at Universal, Sid Scheinberg, who was the head of Universal Pictures. And he told Reynolds, you got to be careful to stay to schedule. He said that Jaws was supposed to be 55 days and it was 155 days. (laughs) And they went over, they went 100% over budget. Not surprised. Producer Chuck Gordon also had a talk with Sid Scheinberg. He told him similar things. Scheinberg said to expect to do 25% more than your original plans. At least. So going against Scheinberg or going against Spielberg's wishes, they decided to move forward and make Waterworld on the water with one of the biggest stars in the world. 
Before they could even start the cameras, the film was already receiving negative press. Over the years, Waterworld has gained a reputation for being a disastrous production, overrun on days, over budget, and became the poster child for a blockbuster disaster in the 1990s. People in the press were already saying the movie was over budget before it ever began shooting. <laughs> they were saying because it's shooting on water, it's over budget. They were hearing stuff about the sets, and they're just like, it's too much. And they began reporting stories that weren't true without a single scene being shot. And because wow. the press was so negative for the film even shot, they decided to bar press from the set, not allowing them to do interviews or anything like that on to have like set visits, which is a kind of a common thing. Right, right. And and certain Well, it helps get, you know, eyes on your movie. You know? Yeah. It's unless like a oh, Marvel especially or, in that time. Yeah, yeah. At that time it's like yeah. that's it's being played on your like local news right. or in the newspaper. Yeah. Um and they hoped that by barring the press from seeing everything it would help the movie's reputation. Interesting. More on that later. <laughs> but let's move to favorite scenes. So we'll let you start, David. I mean, I love the opening. <laughs> the opening's great. The, 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 the urine, the, the <laughs> yeah, thing. I mean, because, uh, you know, going back to my point earlier, it's like you, there's just so much, like, just technology in this movie. And, like, I mean, I guess you can call it. I'm going to call it technology. Yeah. Or like tools or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, like, they really thought out every single detail of this world. And that's just, like, the perfect way to yeah. <laughs> introduce you the to this. The world, the character. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the also, costumes. It's, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. also so weird because, like, it's almost like I don't, I don't like saying disgusting, but someone describe it as disgusting. What's well, not something you'd expect for a, a movie of this unexpected level? Unexpected, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, that's what that's yeah. unexpected for a blockbuster yeah. to start that way. It, that feels more like a Roger Corman movie. It does. <laughs> it, it, you're right. It feels like a low budget. Yeah. Like it's like cause that's that's it's always like, like a weird. That's a whole other weird thing. Like I feel like some low budget films like they're and he's like, oh, you want to be edgy, yeah, cool, edgy. Yeah. Let's show him pissing. <laughs> like. Let's not show them doing it. We'll, just have, we'll like have the sound effects. Yeah. And it's like we'll, we'll just we'll just have it going. I see that in so many yeah. low budget indies, and and I'm just like, why are we doing this? I'm not against it, but it's like it becomes where I'm just like, you didn't you know how to introduce a character? You just have them jump in. Like I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's a weird tangent, but it works uh, here. It works here. I think it, I, because it's it's, it, it's it shows the desperation. Yes, it shows yeah. the world not just yeah. desperation, yeah. but what's become. Uh, day-to-day life right, in yeah. this world and i think that whole opening's really cool because you introduce this this character that is called the mariner mm-hmm. and it's interesting kind of talking about the western aspect of it the whole idea of like that, the like, almost like outlaws not trusting one another him yeah. coming the other, this other guy riding up and coming on his boat stealing his like fruit and he really cared about that he really cared, and he, yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 dude has a heart and um and uh and yeah basically it's like and then you have this introduce the smokers and kind of the yeah. like it is kind of the wild west on, on the, the water, water. <laughs> is the thing of like who's good who's bad the people at home taking a shot every time we say water it's gonna be yeah they're probably dead by now. <laughs> um and so and so yeah so I, I that's it's it's a good kind of opening uh of the characters of the mariner of the world and everything um and and a somewhat unique way to to introduce this, yeah. <laughs> and also just introduce one of the best lines in the movie: "Nothing's free in Waterworld." Yeah, I love that. I wrote that down too. <laughs> I, 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 my buddy Mark talked about how he has a friend that just always will say like, "Nothing's free in Waterworld," <laughs> just like as part of his vernacular, like common yeah. common day vernacular. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and then again to talk about this movie too is to 
look at the context of this film of like just the scale of it is yeah. is so impressive. And so right after that, we have the Mariner arrive at the uh, atoll, atoll, yeah, yeah, atoll. Yeah, yeah. and it's this basically floating city out in the water where they've probably spent years building this thing up essentially. Mm-hmm. And nowadays this would be CGI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like in a studio somewhere with they, 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 they build it on a tank is a thing. Yeah. But you would you wouldn't you wouldn't the it'd be all CGI. Well, the scale of it would be all in the computer, right? It would, but, yes. but this is real. They, yes. they built this shit. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's interesting yeah. kind of, again the comparison to Pirates the Caribbean movies, yeah. um, because those also have a very large scale yeah. that wouldn't be seen today. I think maybe the closest example I've seen ever late is maybe Guardians of the Galaxy with those because yeah. they had the kind of like cityscapes, but mm-hmm. those are also a lot of CG is the thing. Yeah. But it's still it's still built. Um, but yeah, this is like it, it would be so different. Uh, you'd be and, on a stage, and it wouldn't if you uh, adjusted for inflation. It wouldn't cost as much. It wouldn't cost much, but it, it just <laughs> yeah. would. It, yeah, it, but or it wouldn't cost as much on in in that regard. Yes, it would cost yes. more. But I think, but yeah, effect. just when you when you come into it, I think now this is why I think it could it could get a younger audience because in comparison to modern stuff, those sections feel so real. Exactly. Like, like, you, like you feel like this world could actually be real. exactly, <laughs> even exactly. though it's kind of goofy when you think of it. Yeah, it's like honestly, and we'll talk about it later. It's like yeah. when the visual effects come in, that's yeah, where it looks it, bad. It problems, but when it's that, I'm just like, what the hell? And the stunts look? are insane. Stunts like, are insane. People falling off of those things, and the yeah, you know, all the jet ski stuff is crazy. Yeah, all the fire. I mean, all the explosions and fire. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's like they, yeah, they. It's like yeah, it's it's intense of what they're doing with like kind of the. Stuff jump like the the I think with the bullets and stuff they did like uh so like, yeah with the, with on land they could do like squibs in the ground but they right. had to like do like air pipes to where it would shoot off oh, no in way. the water that's why it looks, looks like yeah. this is going sky high but no but yeah I love Mariner arriving and him kind of being this there's that moment where he steps out onto the dock and like he almost like has to get his bearings because he hasn't set foot on like a like a flat surface and I don't know how long right is the thing you don't know um. And he can you kind of see him kind of going through this world that has somehow survived uh, yeah. after, and it's hundreds of years after something has happened um, after the, whatever event, the polar ice caps melting basically. Um, and yeah, you just see again, it's again, looking at the Western, it's like the outlaw riding in a right. town. And because you're different than us, we don't trust you. It's, it's like, it's Clint Eastwood. You're an outsider. Yeah. Right? It's like Clint Eastwood or whoever riding in, mm-hmm. Of like a like high plains drifter or something. We're like we don't know you. We don't want you here. Right. Um, because and because you're here and, and something went wrong. It's because of you is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just love kind of that moment. Yeah, that kind of just like that establishing his character and, and kind of establishing the relationship with him and him and Helen. Uh, and yeah, then the smoker invasion when they invade yeah, that, the city is just awesome. And insane. the reveal and the introduction of Deacon. Deacon, yeah. Deacon, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so wild. It's just such great one-liners in this movie. <laughs> What's your favorite one-liner from from the Deacon? Oh, I hate sales, probably. Oh, oh I, I hate sales. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and then that scene is like. Oh, but actually, my favorite is later when he, we could we got to keep an eye out, and he reveals. Oh God, I love that scene. We got to keep an eye <laughs> out. That was like that that freaky fish or whatever. Think about Dennis Hopper in the nineties. It's like. If they let him go all out, they let him go all out, and he kills it. Well, this movie really kind of, yeah. for better or worse, it, <laughs> it, it sets a type for Dennis Hopper. Like that's what they talked about in the doc is that that like 
he had done Speed. He'd done some movies like that, like Red Rock West. Yeah, but like, also uh, he's the cinemas. villain in uh, Super Mario Bros. too. The live yes. action. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. this kind of like like yeah, it's man, just in that succession. Man, dude, he's been in it like because <laughs> I mentioned I have it later on. It's, it's like when someone's like, "This is going on a long time." He's like, "Yeah, you want these movies to keep going? <laughs> you no, know, I, I keep getting paid. If it, if it keeps going, keep getting paid. What are we talking and about? You can tell he's having fun. Yeah, it's. And I think to myself, man, this guy's been like Super Mario Bros. is one <laughs> Apocalypse Now, right? Like just the sets, the kind of crazy sets he's yeah. been on. He's um, seen it all. I mean, yeah, him coming, he's like. Why, why, why? I was like, why is he leaving when the, the, the battle's not, or the battle's not over? When he's like, when they're like drinking like champagne <laughs> yeah. or whatever out there. Um, but yeah, I love that whole stuff and kind of the, the them getting out and kind of the the them like basically breaking away from the smokers is the thing. Like, it's yeah. it's, it's just a great kind of uh, escaping. And the boat's amazing with like Costner's boat is just great. Like, yeah, I love it. And then um, I love. The- the part when they're leaving and and like he does the stuff where he starts turning the boat and the boats going towards the deacon's boat and he's just like who's that guy who's that guy shooting <laughs> ah it's chuck get him to stop shooting get chuck to stop shooting and some guy some like guy is like hey chuck <laughs> chuck and the guy's like does he answer charles maybe he doesn't answer to chuck call him charles <laughs> i don't know that down. <laughs> And then Dennis Harvest keeps yelling, Charles, yeah. Charles. <laughs> Char- and then it's like, uh, adios, cousins. Yeah. He jumps off the oh, boat. I love that they call each other cousins. Yeah. It's great. Cousin and cousins. Uh, and I think he gets called uncle. He's yeah. like, he's like, cause as uncle of all the, right. The cousins. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then you have, yeah. Then you have the moment he comes in and it's the like, all right. who? Okay. Where'd the girl go? <laughs> Whoever tells me first lives. Yeah. That's his whole bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And when he shoots him, and it's yeah. just yeah, then it's just like they keep talking. Shoots the other guy. Okay, you won. Who? who okay, which where'd she go? And then yeah, and then it's the uh, about shooting. He's like, you say what? Shoot me? Did I say that? I might have. I, say- <laughs> oh, I might have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might have. <laughs> yeah, and then and I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and he reveals this. <laughs> well, that I was hoping that freak. the Ulysses cut would show more of like what actually caused yeah. that because he just kind of. Pops up and then he's yeah, he's kind of, but I mean it had to have done with yeah. that the the boat exploding. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I get it. I get yeah. it. They have a lot of stuff with like uh of just like questionable things of like how Hopper survives things. Yeah, yeah. Until the very end. Yeah, like I'm just like how does he survive this stuff? <laughs> um, yeah, and then and then we get back to where the smokers go back to like their hideout, mm-hmm. uh, which is also really cool. Like yeah, set piece or, they, or but yeah, the the, the the interiors yeah were built on stages. I know. But I love again. I love they bring in the Peter Gunn theme when the car's going, which mm-hmm. I find fun. Yeah. But I love the guy living in the oil. Yeah, <laughs> I love him so much. Because you like, had earlier then, huh? Well, yeah, yeah, I do. Cause I, think, yeah, I, do think, I, I gotta find out that guy's name because like he's just like, oh yeah, and he's down there. But my favorite part is near the end when the when they throws thing <laughs> when they, when when Costner throws the thing in and it, it blows up and it cuts and goes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> he's just so excited to be dead. He's just living like living in hell. Because he's just living in darkness full yeah. of oil. Like, we got a little bit left. 
two more Luna <laughs> cycles or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. he says. Yeah. And I love, I, I love some of that. I mean, I know it's kind of goofy, but I love some of that dialogue. It's like it's yeah. very like world specific, you know. Like it is lunar cycles is. and lunar cycles. Um, uh, I mean, even them just calling each other cousin and stuff cousin. like that. Like it's just like it's interesting that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, but yeah, just, again, again, talking about the stunts, like, again, the battle of like the breakout of yeah. the the breakout of the atoll when it's about to go when it's going under um into like this type stuff i just like again like i again i love when she's breaking that line basically because like costner uh, uh, there's issues with costner in this movie for sure i feel i will say with some performance stuff um but like his action stuff is really good it is and he's and doing, he, and doing he's doing most of it yeah when he fucking when he grabs that like on his ship and he grabs that rope and it like swings him up oh, like, he's man. doing that he's shit. doing it and, and and especially in that in the sequence when he's running around the atoll, yeah, he's basically barefoot because yeah. that's yeah. they said that he was barefoot and they had like he had like mollusk under his feet uh-huh. to like help. They go, it really didn't help. So yeah. he's running around on like metal, yeah. jumping and running and diving and, and diving yeah. and just and bare feet <laughs> and it's wild. Yeah, and like that's just, I think yeah he and he got taught like an Olympic swimmer that would do the like oh, when no he swim the water. And in order to get him to go that fast, they basically put a cable on him and pull him through the water. Oh shit! And then they put him on a harness to where he like jumps up and lands. Is the thing. So he he's doing all the own like a lot of his own wire work in this movie. Yeah. And like, uh, and it shows. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it shows. It very yeah. much shows. Um, and we'll get more into kind of some other stuff with that. Yeah. But yeah, but that whole sequence is great, and the boat stuff. Um, and. How do you feel about like this open water? Well, I'll just re- refer to it as like the open water section of the movie where they're kind of like he's just him and the, the the thing about this open water section yeah. is like it 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 drags and the um, Ulysses cut even more so yeah it's for Caitlin it 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 drags because it's it's a weird I wrote down it feels like a movie where it's like battling between like lyricism and Hollywood studio film yeah like there are some moments where it's trying to be like shots the water and yeah. kind of lost in thought and introspective in some way More like ponderous po- yeah of how like, did we end up here exactly yeah. but then it's like kim cody shows up and this scene happens and then this other scene happens yeah. it just feels like it, 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 it oh so that 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 scene with the trader is in the theatrical cut too the yes okay i didn't realize that okay I don't, know, I don't know if it goes on longer. It, it, it felt long. It felt longer. It, yeah. I really don't like the scene. Yeah. I really. I, yeah. I, 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 and, and like, it's more of a taste thing. I, yeah. It, just, I, it feels like it really brings the movie to a halt. It does. Yeah. Like, I get what it's trying to do. Yeah. But to show I, like there's worse. But I feel like we've already kind of done. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's trying to show that like Costner or, or the Mariner has some sort of conscience. Right. Or like he has a heart. Yeah. Is it like. He won't let these things happen, right. and that and that's where I think this movie gets a little wonky. Is that we don't really know how to strengthen his relationship with these with with Helen Correct. and Anola. I agree with that it just feels like oh now he's now he's a caretaker, like, and then like, he's their caretaker. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. like it's like they try to make it yeah. happen, but it doesn't really work. And I don't know if that's in their writing or if the yeah. performance or a mixture of both. Um, well, I mean, I think Fury Road handles that really well. That, that yes, that arc really well, and I think Road Warrior handles that arc really well. Yeah, yeah. So I just I think I think that's the thing is that it feels like it it doesn't really know what it wants to do with what that. it wants yeah. to do with that and I don't know. You know well, if, I mean, I think that's probably like a, uh, a broader issue with a lot of the issues in the movie is that, yes. is that it comes comes specifically from that. Yes, <laughs> what the, not knowing how to handle that arc. And I do think you're saying in that kind of section yeah. of the the on the open water yeah. is kind of the weakest section. I agree. Of the movie, like the first. 
hour is awesome and or yeah. the first like beginning is awesome and then the like the first act and then the third act's awesome third act's awesome <laughs> yeah and it's like you have the little moment when like uh, i mean yeah pretty much once like once they come and like capture mm-hmm. uh uh anola yeah it's when you're like it's a very interesting world now it's like we need to get there sooner yeah is the thing and it feels a little repetitive too i it feel does. like the, the open watch at least the ulysses cut well, i didn't know how much of that was in them and there is i think there's a lot more in that yeah um but it does get a little get a, just a little, a little slow where yeah uh, he there i, I do love and in that section that i do love is when he teaches her swimming. That's a good scene. There are moments yeah. where it's it a beautiful shot in that It's when he's teaching when her under the water. Oh, yeah. And that's why I said it's trying to be like, it's like it was trying to be lyrical and kind of like poetic versus like ooh, a possible sexual yeah, assault that, scene to, oh, to yeah. really like it's like, like right. you know what I mean? It's like trying, that feels more core. Like, 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 yeah. pl- like plot heavy yeah. and the dude that it just feels very but the water odd. stuff feels more like Malik. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that I scene agree. specifically. Yeah. It yeah. just feels like we're we're throwing this into like yeah. oh we gotta show him like we gotta show him he's getting closer because he's stepping in with this and I'm like ah that's that's movie and it's the more like him teaching her how to swim and, like, and that feels that moment actually I actually felt some like yes like they're building a relationship here right? yes I agree and whereas the other one is just like oh he's making a the right moral choice but that's not yes. really like showing that he's changed you know what I mean and and, he, and we could find a way to do that in any way right the and also he's earlier he's like annoyed by the girl and yeah. showing him actually like teaching her like that shows a change like he's yeah. like okay i'm actually growing to you know fond of her like there's when i watch this i feel like there's a lot of like they're pulling or they could have pulled from better examples like an example i think of that i thought about with this is like terminator and john connor and yeah, t2 i agree where it's like you see that kind of bond happen yeah. and i felt and a that's little the bit heart of, of the movie yeah. in t2 man. and i felt like that that's the one where like it could have looked at that a little bit right. at that as an example of how to build that bond sure because uh, some moments you don't fully earn like is he ends up becoming closer but she doesn't really get closer with him but then at the end she's like defending then she's him. then it becomes yeah, yeah it's it's a, it's that, a that big jump really it, it's like, a big jump that was like a switch with her character it felt yes like. and it's yeah. and i think i like those moments yeah. but oh, we, I do too, we yeah. don't build to them right is the thing so it feels it feels odd yeah. and this is favorite scenes um <laughs> sorry no, okay. but, I mean, but i mean like that is a large part of the movie is that middle yeah section. That, that's yeah. like kind of my part and that's yeah, yeah. and we, yeah. i mean it's it's, it's whatever yeah. um uh, I do like kind of a sneak attack they do at the at the it's called, they call it a slave tower the outpost mm-hmm. um, when that's when the seed when the seeders are underwater yeah and he looks under with a telescope yeah, thing. yeah. and but yeah. Some, that part's where it's moving so fast yeah. where he's like he's realizing in a moment oh yeah. shit this could be a trap and, and, you, and you kind of see how he survived this long like yes. he, how he's you know how he thinks lot, and how he yeah you know. he can just spot it and they also just like hang out li- yeah. living on his boat <laughs> um, but yeah and then I love that and then. Um, uh, Dennis Hopper just chewing up the scenery and all these scenes. Um, yeah, and then he and then, spotted us. Yeah, and then I I like the reveal. I don't love the effects as much, but I like the reveal of like where he gets the sand, where he gets the 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 dirt from. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful moment in yeah. the sense of like story wise. It's I think it's a really beautiful and that yeah. adds this idea of the environmental. Like, oh no, yeah. we caused this. Right. Like it's like there was a world underneath this that we could yeah. have been living in, but but we're now living. And, and I, I talk, you talked about the reference of the like kind of the look of it. I know at one point I talked about they want to be like a cyberpunk type movie in the style of like this, like with kind of like metallic or like mm-hmm. dark colored oh, clothing. Um, specifically when they're at the uh, atoll. Right. Um, 
but that also kind of just kind of the 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 mechanisms they have like the underwater stuff that she uses to so that she can breathe yeah um or even those guys that are like camped under the water they have the oh yeah, the breathing me- mechanisms yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cause they had to be, I think they said they had to be in like a scuba outfit Oh wow! underneath that cause they were like actually sense. underwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah. And then, and then, yeah, when they come back up and, 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 uh, the Deacon captures <laughs> Enola and he's, he's like, let me introduce myself. I'm the Deacon. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, wow, we haven't heard his name out in the entire movie yeah. until now. Like, maybe they say it once or twice. Um, but I do like just to also feel topicals and what happens. And we kind of we see we see more of the world of the smokers of on the we find out to be the Exxon Valdez. Right. Um, for those who don't know, the Exxon Valdez was a was the is the second largest oil spill in American waters behind Deepwater Horizon. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And it happened in '89. We'll talk more about that. But it was very like it was a very big thing to do this like as the ship was the Exxon Valdez because it was a very yeah. hot topic at that point. And well, I figured when it showed the name, it was important, but I didn't look it up. So. Yes. At yeah. that point in time, it was a very big deal that it was basically, it was a, it was a oil, it was a oil tanker from yeah. Exxon that crashed into like a, a reef up near Alaska oh, shit. and spilled just like all this oil out into the ocean is what it was. Oh man. So Yeah. And so that's the ship, and that's the captain. I was gonna of, say, does that still? It's the, the real captain. Yeah. yeah, that's that's all there. That's the real <laughs> captain of the boat. Thing? I forgot because he, re- he references him in yeah. the speech too. At, yeah. to the, all the people he references. Yeah, him. Yeah, Captain Joe or something. <laughs> um, but no, I love. Uh, yeah, I do love when Dennis Hopper's trying to like talk to to uh, Enola. Like, uh, oh yeah, that's a great scene. And he's just and she and, he's, and she's really good in that scene. She's really good. Yeah. And she's like, he's gonna come and save me, and yeah. he's just like good or whatever. <laughs> he's stupid. Yeah. Um, but then I love when he like when he goes and like talks to his uh his followers, and you realize he's like a fake is the whole thing. Right. He's just it's 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 like he really is a politician yeah. where he's just like they're gonna eat it up. Like they'll be rowing for two months before before they realize that we're we don't know where it is. By that point, we should already have the map and everything and figure out the map. Um, like he he's just a care. He's he's aware of it, and he's just like I'm lying because I can. And there's it's funny we're talking about Mad Max Free Road next week. But there's yeah. moments of like him throwing the stuff down to them, yeah, which feels very much like uh, absolutely with the with with Joe and Morton Joe, yeah. and Morton Joe of like putting the water, yeah. and that that's how like that's how you kind of like keep them at bay, keep right? them at bay, yeah. give them a little bit, give them a little bit of hope, and then yeah. take it away. Um. And that's a great scene. And yeah, and then when they kind of like build up to like, I love when they when they're found by, uh, I think Kreger, and they had this new community now when they, the Mariner and Helen are found by the new community, and uh, and the Mariner's just like, I'm going in there, I'll go in there alone, I don't care, and that's when we get crazy, because <laughs> um, as a kid, I loved this sequence so much and i love that as an adult (laughs) and yeah as an adult too but this is where i think like costner like it's like if we could just like build to this moment a little bit better yeah it would it would be so fucking cool and like even more cool than it is right now because when he comes up like in and like the jet ski by himself through the fog and realizes what's happening and i think the moment when she's like telling the other dude uh whatever that guy's name is uh the like long redheaded guy. I'm blanking on the dude's name. That's like a. You realize it's like a it's like a spy for the smokers or whatever earlier yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's telling him like, it's like he's gonna come for me. He's and it's like cutting to him like killing people. Right. I was like, this is so hard. Wait, he's like choking the dude he's on the ladder. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I loved it. 
I love it so much. She's like, he's going to come for me. Yeah. He's not scared of anyone. He's not this. And just like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. That's um, a great sequence. Well, I mean, this whole like final bit, I like. Yes. Was, and, and yeah. And yeah, go ahead with, with, with more stuff. You'd like. Well, the the, yeah. I mean, like this whole like final yeah. like attack and then the final fight with Dennis Hopper, even, even though there's some bit questionable CG yeah, <laughs> in yeah. that sequence, but it's amazing and it's very entertaining. And I, I think that's a re- one of the reasons I think this movie deserves this like mm-hmm. a cult audience is that it, it does earn it like it, or it has a great ending like it's yeah. fun it's fun yeah. it's not uh you know yeah, man. Costner, it doesn't it doesn't drop the ball yeah <laughs> costner going down on that line <laughs> yeah is so like, through the fire gosh like that's we used to make movies David. i know right um but uh but no, yeah, i, lo- like I this, love so. that whole sequence um and then when they arrive at dry land yeah. and, and it's, it's the, and that feels very poetic too. You know, like very the, poetic. Yeah. yeah. And then you realize the kind of, it doesn't, it's not never fully said exactly, but basically what I, what you read into, I don't know how it is in the Lissy's cut, but we can't read into is the base like the two, the, cause you find the two like dead, right. The skeleton, the skeletons yeah. in the house is that essentially it seems like that those are Enola's parents right. and that they put her off to sea in hopes of, someone finding the place or right. finding her yeah and then, and then learning finding of- and then learning about the place because they were dying or something like yeah. that um and yeah and i know we'll talk about that later but there's the, one- that that dead change okay. yeah or change. not the change yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. What, what's clearly stated in the he was just yeah, yeah yeah but <laughs> yeah, no, it was interesting and i but i do love them well i can talk yeah. about here this part that's the part because like yeah. it's like i do love the moment at the end when like he when he gets on land he just does not know what to do right yeah and this this is kind of the also thing about max with mad max we'll talk about next week is it like mad max always is never really the full-on lead character like he always has to leave yeah is the thing by the end of the movie it's like he's he does his duty and yeah. he realizes i'm not really built because like, he this doesn't world. belong in the village yeah. or wherever he, he yeah. belongs in the, de- in the wasteland in the wasteland <laughs> and so with and with and same with the same mariner with, is yeah, that he he it's but he hasn't when he's like he's telling the girl like, i have to go and and it's also a very western ending right like yeah. riding off into the sunset yeah exactly going back out on another adventure it's just like i can't he, he's like so confused he sees the horses and sees the he sees yeah. the dirt and he's just like and then he sees a new boat and it's just like i gotta go do that that's that's yeah. my thing um, and and yeah, she gives Anola gives a great performance of just like sad that he's leaving, right. and he's just like I gotta go. Like it's not it's not for me. Like I won't be happy if I'm here, and you won't. And, yeah. and if I'm not happy, you're not gonna be happy with me being here. Is the thing. Yeah. Um. But what? Yeah. What happens in the Ulysses cut with the with that ending? With her giving him the name? Or yeah. The, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, in the Ulysses cut, <laughs> I was like the whole time I was like, why is this called the Ulysses cut? And then at, near the end, she. Uh, basically, because the whole time he this doesn't is Helen t- or Enola, Helen, Helen, okay. yeah. So basically, the whole time he doesn't like tell her his name or whatever. I, mm-hmm. There was some yeah back and forth about that, but she she tells him the legend of Ulysses, which is the Odyssey, you yeah. know, Odysseus, if you learned it in school, but the Latin version yeah. was Ulysses. But anyway, she tells him the legend of that and says his name is Ulysses, so she names him Ulysses, <laughs> <laughs> which 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 feels very apt because again, it's like. In the Odyssey, he's lost at sea for so long. Yeah, and, and also it goes the idea of like in terms of new civilization. Right. If you want to go into this, is like the idea that with the tales that Homer did with the with the Odyssey or the Iliad, is they were spoken stories. Right. They right. were tales that were told from generation to generation before they were even written down, and so that's what's kind of, in a way, you could argue is like that's the beginning of civilization in a way when. You begin to craft stories, right? And, and they don't, and they don't even have paper. Like that was all. That's all. That yeah, yeah. they don't have paper is a thing, and so they can't write these stories. Can't it's all down. told, you know, through legend. And so, and that's the beginning of like the new 
yeah. world is the thing for them. And that's the hope they found dry land. Now they can uh, hopefully start over, start yeah. over yeah. again is, is the plan. Um, but yeah, a lot of scenes, <laughs> a lot of scenes. The action is just too good, man. We had to break it's it too in. damn good. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to onset life here. So to tackle Waterworld or Mad Max in the water, uh, the production team put together a crew that could feasibly overcome the issues of the production. They hired Australian director of photography, Dean Simler, who had shot Dances with Wolves for Costner. He also did City Slickers, Young Guns 1 and 2, Super Mario Brothers with Dennis Hopper, <laughs> and most importantly, Mad Max 2 and Mad Max Beyond, Thund- yep. Beyond the Thunderdome. Uh, they hired production designer Dennis uh, Gasner to create the world of Waterworld, and he had previously worked with uh, Costner and the Gordons on Field of Dreams. Gasner initially said no to the project, feeling it would be too difficult to accomplish, but he finally agreed to do it. The two biggest aspects of the film he had to create were the Mariner's Boat and the Atoll, which is the city on the ocean. The Atoll became top priority. He built a model of the city uh, he brought to Chuck Gordon to see, and when Gordon asked him how big it would be, he said it would be the circumference of a football stadium. And Chuck was like, do what? And Gasner was like, we're going to build this, and it's going to be thousands of tons of steel to build this thing. And Gordon thought he was joking until he realized <laughs> that Gasner was not joking. Um, it would apparently a report. It would apparently cost a reported twenty two million dollars to build. I don't know if that number is number is right. That feels like a lot. That's a lot. But maybe that's what it was <laughs> because they really focus it in like the marketing stuff and um and everything. And it is it is about like I just feel like a lot for like a thirty minute section of the movie for like it's if it, if it was that much that's a big. But that's what goldenglobes.com on their history wow. of the movie reported. So. Um, either way, it was expensive part of the movie. Uh, Gasner played a part also in picking location for the majority of filming. After lo- he location scout scouted a lot of places around the world. They actually talked about doing Australia, but it was in the winter time in Australia, so the weather would be terrible. So they decided on Hawaii. So for the atoll, they would build the set in sections off the coast of Honolulu, and then hi- and they hired a, a lot of local talent to help build it. Uh, however, the eight base weights and counterweights were constructed by Lockhead. Oh, I'm sorry. Constructed by Lockheed Martin Aerospace. So they built the sections and it was eight pieces and they would build, build it and then take it over from Honolulu to uh, Kona uh, off the mainland. And it was basically, they wanted it right off the mainland to where it wouldn't be too far out at sea. They could like just kind of go into the set. Um, hmm. But, and, and also they had to build, they had, and they had a thing in the center of the, set that allow them to rotate the set to where they could always have an empty sky in the background. Oh, that's smart. That's what it was. That's smart. So, but not be too far off of set, right. but they still had to take it out in the ocean for the wide shots and they're coming in like the overhead shots. Yeah. So they still had to move it a lot, but they tried to keep it as much as possible in the mainland. So they wouldn't have to go too far uh, yeah. in the ocean. That's wow. for later. Yeah. <laughs> um, once it was finished, they said everyone said it was unbelievable to see in person. It was this massive, movable city that could fit all the cast, extras, and crew. Chuck Gordon said when you got on it, it would move and creak like a boat because that's what it was. Uh, he also said it, he, when he, once he saw it, he knew that it was the biggest thing he would ever do. <laughs> for the Mariner's boat, Dennis Kasner had found these large-scale trimarans that were used for international races, those big big boats they use when chuck gordon asked him how much it would cost to get them and design them for the movie gasner told him to be one million dollars each Damn. and gordon's like what do you mean each he's like we'll need at least we'll need multiple boats to do this they bought two boats 
uh, and they built them overseas. They had to actually figure out a way to get them over from overseas to Hawaii. So they actually found the 747 cargo plane that could fit the the boats, but they'd be in pieces, and it would basically enti- take the take up the entire cargo plane these boats and they were going to take that plane to Kelowna airport in Hawaii, but the airport was not big enough to handle a 747 landing. Uh, so they had to extend the runway at the airport, build onto the what? airport for this to land in Hawaii. Uh, yeah, this movie was great for the economy of Hawaii yeah. <laughs> yeah, the state economy of Hawaii at this point. Uh, once the boat arrived in Hawaii and was set up, Costner spent weeks in the boat, learning all the mechanisms while also learning how to move on the boat. Uh, the stunt coordinator, RA Rondell went out there with him and taught him how to do the swinging on the boats and all this, all this type stuff. Um, the first shot they did for the movie was when the Mariner arrives at the atoll. Uh, Chuck Gordon says during the shoot, the, or during the shot, the boat got like 50 feet into the set when he heard over the radio that a cable broke. So a bunch of divers dove into the water and had to push the boat back. Gordon said it took them three hours to reset the shot. And that's when he realized this is going to be different than anything he's ever worked on. Jesus. Um, at one point during the filming of the tall scenes, uh, Mad Max director George Miller visited set to see his friend Dean Simler. And Miller told Dean, yeah, you're right. Just Mad Max in the water. <laughs> Uh, the harsh, hardest and most expensive scenes to shoot, however, were, can you guess? The hardest and most expensive? Most expensive. Or probably, probably the probably assault, some of the, some of the assault at ones. the beginning on the toll. Oh, no. I would say the hardest, not expensive, but it, yeah. it did take a lot of the, uh, maybe it did just because of the amount of days they did. Just shooting on open water with the three actors. Sure. Because they needed a full horizon of an empty sky and they would sail two miles off the shore uh-huh. to do these scenes. And they'd basically take a battalion of boats. They had the picture boat, the costumes boat, the makeup boat, the oh, camera boat, and the craft services boat, and they had to move all in. Uh, it would take so long to set up shots that they could only set up about five shots or five setups a day. Uh, they would have to constantly rotate the boats. The sun would match from shot to shot. Yeah. And that would take them about a half hour every time to move the boat. I remember Spielberg talking about that with Jaws. It was like, by the time you set up the shot, everything's moved. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, Dean, uh, the DP, said that what made the filming so difficult was there was no flat surface in the boat. And in some cases, you were walking on the netting of the boat to get the shot. So no one could, like, get there. Even like, the steady cam operator, like, walking on the netting of the boat. <laughs> uh, Chuck Gordon said they would constantly have seasickness because of all of them on oh, the boat. Oh, yeah, I can't even imagine. They tried the patches and a variety of different things, but the thing that so they, that he or the thing that he said that worked out the best with dealing with seasickness was ginger snap cookies. Really? He said they were consuming hundreds of cookies each day as a cast and crew because of it. Uh, Chuck said that Kevin Costner was a real sport on set and was doing mostly all of his stunts, and he rarely complained. He even ran around barefoot, as I said earlier. Uh, Reynolds, however, said that he could tell that Costner's personal life was taking a toll on his performance. Costner was in the middle of a separation and further divorced from his wife of 16 years. And Reynolds said that the darkness and anger that Costner was experiencing was bleeding over into his performance. Hmm. And this divorce began to hit the tabloids. And you know what else is saying the tabloids? The production problems of Waterworld. Many of the crew members, from production assistants to assistant directors to producers and Kevin Reynolds, were reading things in the press every day about stories from their set that weren't actually happening. Reynolds does not deny that the, the production had issues, at one point, one of Costner's, or Costner's stunt double almost had a near-fatal embolism during a deep-sea dive while filming. Oh, shit. Um, Costner even almost got hurt. There's one part that he had like almost like a, a near-death experience uh, when he got caught in a squall while tied up to the mast of his, of his, of a, of his trimaran. I think that was actually a scene when like 
their waves were getting so high yeah. that they were like the boat was like going faster than what it was like built to go was the thing. And that's it's this I think it's a shot when Costner's tie is at the very top when he's like put them all down at the bottom or whatever and he's just like up there like like riding off into the mm-hmm. distance and he's at the very top. I think that's where it just got so high. I think I think Reynolds he's we're on a helicopter and the waves got so high that I felt like the water hit my foot because and we were like pretty high up. Yeah. But he was like but he was going so fast and he's like he's like Kevin was pissed and rightfully so. Like he was in danger and we had to basically basically had to wait to the boat slow down to get him off of it because if you watch it it's a wide shot. Yeah. And there's no one, there's no boats around or anything. Yeah. I just had a crew in the bottom of the boat. So it was difficult. But anyway, so there were issues for sure. But uh, Reynolds says a lot of stuff, they were just blowing way out of proportion. And he brings up two specific stories to showcase this. He goes, one was the small tower set that the smokers were trying to sneak attack the Mariner at. Uh, it sunk one day. And the very next day, they had it back up because it was such a small set. Like they actually built it from something that was already there left in Hawaii. Um, but a few days later, it was reported the entire atoll set, which was millions of dollars, had sunk and had to be rebuilt from the ground up because of what was happening on, uh, on set. Jesus. Uh, another example, which that didn't happen. Um, another example is that Reynolds wanted to, wanted to grab a shot at the top of the Mariner's boat. But while the cameramen were up there, the wind started to pick up and they came down because Reynolds and the safety coordinator determined it was not safe enough due to the wind. The next day, the film's publicity department got a call from a journalist asking them to comment on the death of the two cameramen on set yesterday. What? And they shouldn't lie about it because they had multiple sources telling them the two men died yesterday on set on the boat. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. No one has died on the set. Um, and feeling they had to calm the negative press, Universal put out a teaser trailer while the film wasn't still in production. They were just like, we have to put something out yeah. because people are like, all that's coming out is just bad stuff. No one knows what it looks like. Everyone thinks this is bad. And Chuck Gordon said that he wished they could have waited to make a better first impression for the audience, but there was no other choice because the press had gotten so bad at this point. Just to, I'm going to read you a headline <laughs> from the LA Times that came out while this was shooting. It's a long head the headline. Plenty of riptides on Wild World set. With crew pe- crew people quitting and reported turmoil, logistical and organizational problems, the big budget film scheduled for release in summer of 95 could end up costing more than any other movie ever made. Wow. That's a headline. And the movie has come out for another year, basically. So they were feeling like they were being just ganged up on by the press. Yeah. Because some people say, like, it, because Costner's star had gotten so big, they almost like wanted to see him fail. Yeah, wanted to take him saying. down. Yeah, take that I mean, what you will. That sale that sells on you know with newspapers yeah. and stuff. Because a lot of yeah. people, that, as example, they use in a different way is Titanic. Is two years later, and Titanic and Cameron go through the same stuff. Of, right, this is going to fail. It's a water movie. Water movies always fail. It's Cameron's folly, but that went a different way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Before the film started shooting, there was not a complete third act that everyone could agree, agree upon. Uh, Chuck Gordon hired Joss Whedon to come on and do a rewrite of the script, and what? Gordon had knew Whedon because Gordon had actually bought Whedon's first screenplay a few years before. Uh, Whedon was supposed to be there for like a week or so, but ended up staying seven weeks. Uh, Whedon said it was, he was miserable and that he never they never used any of his stuff because Costner kept demanding other things. He said that basically Costner would just tell him his ideas. You'd have to write what Costner wanted and not really have a say. Reynolds, however, says they did use a lot of his ideas, at least for the ones, the characters, the stuff he wrote for the Deacon character. He said they had a lot of dialogue that Wayne had wrote. I don't know how true that is or not. 
speaking on speaking of going over on days uh that was beginning to happen and it was beginning to overrun the budget uh gene triplehorn commented during one of the film's 20-year re- retrospective interviews in newsweek that she was talking to his hopper that's when she complained about it being too long and we've been here for three months like when's it going to end and hopper's like you want this movie to keep going as long as possible <laughs> um Triplehorn also the hopper taught her how to play poker while on set and they had a fun time together and they'd usually play with chuck and lawrence gordon kevin costner kevin costner not as much because he was busy making shooting the movie i think he worked six days a week as they said costner did halfway through productions when they actually started getting pages for the film's final third act holy shit uh which take place in the exxon valdez and i said it was the it was in reference to exxon valdez oil spill in alaska in 89 uh this is actually very controversial because they actually when they built the model they didn't paint the name of the boat on it and till they were about to start shooting because they were so afraid of like what people would say about yeah, it. Yeah, if they got out. Um for the uh and for that sequence, they didn't shoot the exteriors on water. They shot it in a parking lot in the city of industry <laughs> in Los Angeles County. Uh they put green or blue screen around mm-hmm. the boat. Uh and predating Titanic by two years, the film would include the first CGI water in a movie. Oh wow. Um according to that documentary. Uh, the set was the length of a football field. That's what it was in the, in the parking lot. For the sinking of the Exxon Valdez, they shot that in, a, in the Mojave Desert with a model version of it. And they basically, as of the Mojave yeah. Airport, that's what it was. For the final big stunt on the Exxon Valdez, Chuck Gordon didn't want Kevin Costner to do it because he's a big star. It didn't look safe. So to prove it was safe, Kevin Reynolds did it first. And he rode down the line that Kevin Costner does in the movie to show that it was it was safe. The movie finally wrapped after 166 days of production, which was more than the reported 96 days that, that it was supposed to be. There's also a report number of 120 days. Uh, if it was 120 days, it was almost like Sid Scheinberg was right. It was about 25% yeah. more than what you're expecting. Uh, also, because of the production overruns, it had become the most expensive film ever made, which was just another thing for the entertainment news to latch onto, mm-hmm. as I said. And that leads us into Aftermath. So... Reynolds gave his first cut of the movie, which is two hours and 40 minutes long. And basically they said the uh, Chuck Gordon said that the first cut was much darker than the final cut of the movie. It was a much more, he was more meaner and more introspective. And I think you said that as well, that you felt that he he just comes off like more of a dick. I think. Yeah. I mean, there's more like on the boat of him being a dick. Yes. Before this kind of, arc that we were alluding yes. to earlier and i wonder if that kind of is what what, what chuck gordon is saying yeah. and also to go with what reynolds said earlier was that costner's real life was bleeding over i think so because you look at often with costner he's very charismatic and very yeah. he doesn't feel that way and i didn't know if that was a direction thing but that makes more sense now yeah that you're saying like his what was going on in his real life yeah and so basically the studio and costner would start making demands about what cuts should be made mm. Uh, and eventually, in a similar fashion as Robin Hood, Reynolds would leave the project before post-production ended. Uh, they said that the score was, again, too bleak, too like world music heavy, um, but it was about 25, at least 25% done, uh, and they wanted a more like adventurous tone. So oh, interesting. Costner, they scrapped Isham's score after Reynolds left. They brought in James Newton Howard who had done the score for Wyatt Earp and he did this more swashbuckling score, yeah. which I actually love the no, score. The score, is awesome. the score is great. Um, it, it feels very much like a, there's moments when I guess I said like T2 pops in here. 
Jurassic Park pops in here big time. This feels like John Williams doing some Jurassic Park score stuff in uh, this yeah. score. I, I didn't pick up on that, but that, I, I can see that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so once Reynolds left, the press just ate this up that he was that uh, this is a failure. Right. Yeah. Like he's leaving. Um, with Costner taking over the edit, but it became a very public uh, issue or public issues between Costner and Reynolds. Costner would basically say he made a huge mistake in asking Reynolds to direct the movie and that maybe they were never friends to begin with, just friendly. This is a guy who like discovered (laughs) Uh, Reynolds would say he was not going to be the scapegoat and that he was basically forced out because of all the Costner's decisions. He said publicly in an interview that that basically Costner should only direct movies he acts in. That way he can always be working with his favorite actor and his favorite director. (laughs) Damn. And with all this, the executives kind of had to like kind of make some big changes and really kind of go with this uh, and try to make this work because they were hoping for this to be like a big yeah. world, like I a, mean, a, a, franchi- blockbuster. A, yeah, yeah. a blockbuster, a franchise. Uh, Sid Sheinberg said, in retrospect, life would have been a lot easier. And at a human level, a lot of people would sleep a lot better if they didn't have Waterworld to worry about. <laughs> feeling quite, but, but feeling quite optimistic, he added, whether we'll make money or lose money, I don't know, but I don't think we're sitting on a disaster. And Chuck Gordon said that the marketing of this film was difficult to make because they felt they had so much stuff to convey in this in the trailers and, mm-hmm. and posters. They went through like multiple poster versions to kind of get the right poster because they felt like they had so much mythology right. around it. The, the movie would premiere at the Chinese Theater on July 25th, and it was met with a positive reception from the audience. Uh, Reynolds said the one big thing that he was kind of upset by that was cut from the movie was the Mount Everest plaque yeah. at the end where it shows that they are actually on dry land is actually the tip of Mount Everest. Yeah. Uh, it's cut from the movie and I don't know why, cause it would, I think it works like if yeah. it's on there, it's a good kind of like, Oh, like, and it's I, also, I think that shot is still in the movie. Like that the shot's the part, in the movie, yeah. but the camera basically yeah, right. goes it up cuts later than it. And, and yeah. it's, it's basically a helicopter shot yeah. of them watching him leave. Right. And so there, I, I guess the argument is that he's, they're saying like, Oh, it's more about them watching him leave and like that relationship than like finding out this little twist there on the Mount Everest yeah. thing. You could argue that. Yeah, I mean, I guess he if he wanted it to be the Planet of the Apes twist kind of thing, he should have made that a bigger reveal, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But whatever. Uh Reynolds That's said, a cool little detail. It is. Uh Reynolds said that the critics and really just press in general hearth mood because several still gave it a negative review, even though it was like they kinda liked it. Um he said that one prominent reviewer started off with, Well, it didn't suck. <laughs> And just by saying that, like, made it kind of seem bad. Um, Lou Wasserman told Reynolds, Lou Wasserman, who was a big Hollywood kind of mm-hmm. figurehead at that point, uh, told Reynolds that he felt that the constant negative press probably cost the movie $50 million at the box office. Damn. So when it was released, critics, like, it was very mixed, say at least. Uh, Ebert gave it two and a half and four stars, saying the cost controversy aside, Waterworld is a decent futuristic action picture with some great sets, some intriguing ideas, and a few images that will stay with me. It could have been more, it could have been better, and it could have made me care about the characters. It's one of those marginal pictures you're not happy to have seen, but can't quite recommend. You're not unhappy to have seen, but can't quite mm. recommend. It would make $264 million worldwide on a budget of $175 million. So technically, it made more money than it cost. Yeah. And through through the other kind of like VHS sales, theme park stuff, it eventually made money. And 
all of them, Chuck Gordon, Reynolds, all that to kind of tell people, no, 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 it wasn't a failure. It made money. Um, but everyone just wants you to think that way is the yeah. thing. Um, he, I think Gordon said only one news news reporter made a made a, a article about it making money, and he's like, I called him up and thanked him because he's the only one in town that would <laughs> actually say the truth. And looking back on it, basically the crew loved their experiences. When you watch the documentary, like from second assistant ads to like kind of line producers, are all like, we loved this, and it was one of the best experiences ever of making Waterworld. Reynolds said the filming was wasn't as difficult as the politics of it all was. Uh, Costner said he's very fond of the movie. He goes, it stands up as a really exotic, cool movie. I mean, it was flawed for sure, but overall, it's a very inventive, cool movie. It's pretty robust. Dennis Hopper also enjoyed it, saying, I thought Waterworld got a bad name for itself in the United States, but it did really well in Europe and Asia. I think the studio sort of shot themselves in the foot by announcing it was so over budget, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a failure. All this came out before we released it in the States, but I enjoyed it. And with like the movie's legacy has grown due to people like that finding it after it's been away from all the negative press and kind of its strong thematic elements about environmentalism around global warming and climate change, which have become more part of the public consciousness than it was before. There's talks of a TV show, uh, I think through Max is what it was. Oh, really? Because Dan Trackenberg was going to do it. Oh. This was a few years, like a year or two ago. He was going to do a Waterworld series. Oh, cool. Totally down for I'm down for that. But yeah, it did better overseas. It only made like $90 million in the U.S., but everything else came overseas. So that's why with the theme park stuff, you yeah. wonder, it's big in Beijing, it's big in Asia. Uh, it's still, there's still something there, at least the, just the set pieces of it. Yeah. There's something there for people to, to to latch onto. And with that, David, what worked about this movie? Yeah, I mean, I think it, like we've talked about, it's a very interesting world, um, very entertaining. Uh, the action is great. The yeah. stunts are great. But in... in they just don't, like we said, they just don't make movies like this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. you, it feels like a movie. Yeah. You know, it feels like an event. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've kind of pointed out many of its flaws, but yeah. it's still very entertaining. And I think enough of it works that it outweighs yeah. what doesn't work, in my opinion. Like, I, again, I think the score is great. I think, I think for the performances, for what they are in this movie, I think they are fun to see. And, yeah. I mean, sets are incredible. The sets are incredible. Scores, it's like it's it's a really well in terms of like technical aspects of it. Costuming's great. Yeah. Um, it's just a really large scale movie that, that that deserves a little more appreciation. Isn't a masterpiece? No. And that's why we'll we'll go into what didn't work. <laughs> uh, so what didn't work? Well, I David? mean, one of the things that we've talked about is kind of this. And I don't know if I can just if I can say it doesn't work because I think the moments of it work, but yes. it this arc of him becoming more like closer to them or however you want to mm-hmm. word it um and I, I don't know i you know not knowing all the post issues now i mean i think probably part of that came from that yeah i mean if you didn't shoot because it, the ulysses cut it i didn't really buy him as introspective i mean maybe there's a couple moments but it sounds like some of those shots were also in the theatrical cut i bought him more as like a dick yeah. so i'm wondering if he when he sent that and i, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing if he's an unlikable character. Yeah. Um, but I think people going into this movie were expecting Kevin Costner to be yes. that charismatic, you know, yes. Kevin Costner that we know and, and that he's delivered since. You know? Yes. Um, so I don't know. That's I, the tricky part because yeah. I, I know Thomas is very hit or miss on having Kevin Costner. He's like, he goes, yeah, I believe Kevin Costner is a Midwestern dad owned a baseball field, building a yeah. baseball field. Yeah. I believe him as a, a minor league baseball player. I don't, he's, I don't really buy him as like a, a post-apocalyptic hero yeah. or whatever, but and I don't, yeah, I don't know if 
if you put in like if you put in like a, a Kurt Russell, is this movie better? I don't. Maybe. I don't, yeah. Maybe, and it probably is. Um, but there is something to Costner doing a lot of the stuff in this movie. I agree about that. Um, for sure. And I and I don't know if it's really him to blame if it's just a well because they didn't have that in the can to, to make yeah, that arc work i, I think it's just yeah. sometimes when you get a lot of money and a lot of pressure no matter who how great the person is behind the camera in front of it yeah it doesn't go according to plan i think a prime example of that speaking of spielberg in this episode is hook <laughs> i think hook is a great example of like a lot of pressure a lot of big names a lot of money doesn't quite match the expectations of what you're hoping for. It doesn't match the the, the expectation of it's going to be a classic. It's going to be Wizard of Oz's era. And with Waterworld, it was like, it's the most expensive film of all time. That means it has to be one of the best films of all time. Right. And it's not. And that ruined it is the thing. And and so, but because of that, it makes you make decisions of of. Are you trying to make a big action movie? Are you trying to be something about environmentalism? And how can you blend the two? Mm-hmm. And it's trying to. Right. It doesn't always succeed. Yeah, I think I think it's like the the, the issue isn't necessarily like blending those things on a macro level. It's yeah. like scene to scene. There's like yes. unevenness in my opinion. Yes, that's a good way of putting yeah. it. it. It's the like, as a whole, love it. Good idea. Really yeah. does it. And I think I think Whedon said it's like it's one of those examples of like great idea, really uneven script right. when he was like trying to rewrite it. And that's probably and that's true to it. Is yeah. it like there's issues of like there's stuff you could need more the strength in the relationship between Helen and um uh the Mariner or, mm. or between Nola and the Mariner. There's a, there's one moment in the movie in the in the theatrical cut where where uh which you could put this earlier when the mariner like puts water on like anola's like lips when she's asleep there in like the 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 uh like balloon and it shows like gene triplehorn like looking at him mm-hmm. but doesn't hold it that long it just like dissolves really quickly so you don't like get a moment between them and you need kind of moments like that of if to go with this idea of like poeticness or kind of like lingering aspect it's like to strengthen the relationship you just need looks and there's not a lot of looks between characters in this movie as there could be to kind of do things like that sure. to strengthen it. Um, yeah. And then you can, you can break down like how the like sex scenes and stuff are portrayed in this movie. If, if it's, it's like uh, the possible sexual assault, I think it could be done. What the, I think the point of trying to make could be done differently. I don't know. It's just, well, it just feels it like might from be, a, it might, I, just, I just don't like that performance is the thing. And that might be what bumps yeah. me as well. No, I don't, that, really, I don't yeah. like the performance that's and, fair. and I like that actor, uh, Kim Cody. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. a good character. actor. Yeah, and yeah. I just, it's so, it's so odd yeah. that it almost just like, well, it turns it, me off. Kind of comes out of nowhere. It feels out of place. And I, I, like I said, I don't know if the theatrical cut feels as long as it did in the, in the yeah. Ulysses, but that scene goes on for way too long. Yeah. And to just, begin with, it just feel. Know. And and so I, yeah. and so it makes me and like, it doesn't really like, I don't think it succeeds in what it's trying to do. You know what I mean? agree. So I agree. that's the kind of thing. It's like when you get in post and you're like, Oh, this didn't succeed in what I was trying to do. Let's just cut it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Or at least cut it down. You know? Yeah. Cause you don't, Cause really you don't need, need anything. No. Yeah. Where's lead to? There's that first part where they're just trading. Also yeah. you need, you know, like if, you, if you wanted to keep that and like you get stuff from him, but like, yeah, it's like, Oh, he gives you paper. Well, yeah. like you realize later he already has paper. Yeah. 
you don't really need any of that. And so maybe it's the only established, oh, paper's like, it's like a hot commodity yeah. here. But they could have established that earlier. Earlier. Like that. So yeah, it's just. Like it, she could have found the paper and been like, the girl could have found the paper and been like, oh, you have this? And yeah. Then, there you go. It, and then you have the like, you, it's like you have a moment where she like strips down for him uh, uh, earlier in, early in the movie. And then comes out later, she's like, he's like, she's like, why don't you have sex with me? He's like, I know you didn't want it. <laughs> um, And then now you do, isn't it? So have sex in the boat. Um, Yeah. And I just love I love the moment just going off that's so awkward. When like they he wakes up and starts doing stuff and she's like, How long was I out? <laughs> <laughs> like it was it was such a tiring experience between <laughs> right after it. Like even yeah. No big deal that that her her like daughter like character was just yeah. kidnapped. <laughs> um <laughs> Her surrogate daughter. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, it's just like that's why I thought a TV show would be interesting because like I think if you can fix those issues and like, well, it's just such a cool world. It's such a cool world. It's such a cool world. Such a cool world. Like you could tell all kinds of stories in this world. Yeah. And you can build. You can build up more of these uh, uh, like communities Mm -hmm. like that. Like it's very, very like piracy where you build up these like atolls, these like water, these these community, like even bigger. Right, or and like smaller. what? what are, yeah. You know, what other materials are they using to build yeah. them? That kind of. I mean, it's like it, it. It's it's very like like the guy said. It's a very imaginative pre- yeah. premise. So I mean, basically, like, just do it as like it's like it's like an old again like yeah. a western. Yeah. It's like you're going from town to town, yeah. standing around boats instead of horses. And also, also to build off this idea of like what we talked about um, with dystopian movies in general or dystopian stories in general. It's like you have multiple factions, you know. Yeah. So and you have like this endless world to just create more factions that are at war yep. with each other, exactly. at battle with each other. You know? So it's an interesting. It's it's very interesting. I just you know it, it's one of those things. It's like the execution wasn't all there, but it's still a very entertaining. Movie, yeah, so no, I, I I agree. And uh, it's and it doesn't it didn't deserve the hate it got when it came out. I agree. Not a masterpiece, but not bad. Yeah, I don't think I don't I don't think it's it shouldn't be a two point eight on Letterbox either. I agree about that. It should be higher. It should not be that. Low. Um, it should be over three at least yeah. over three. Yeah. Um, but all right on the film facts, got two things. Cool. We'll do one. Did you catch the cameo of a actor who would later be big? I did. And who is that actor? Jack Black. Jack Black. But it's weird because when he's flying the plane, I had no idea. But when you he no talks, idea. when you the, talk him later, I was like, "What?" What I love. I didn't notice him the first time though. I didn't notice him until this time. I knew it for yeah. a while. What I love that uh, Newsweek did an oral history of this in 2015, and they interviewed Jack Black. For <laughs> and some of the stuff he says, I feel like he like makes. I just want to read read this. Okay, I just read one by one. On whether people ask him about the film 20 years later, Kevin Reynolds, no, they don't. Do they even know what the Exxon Valdez was? Gene Triplehorn, my 13-year-old son just asked me to watch it, and all of his friends had watched. His generation knows it from the Riot Universal Studios. Uh, Tina Margarino, it's the film I get recognized the most for. It's always funny for me now that I'm on adult. People are like, yeah, you look exactly the same, especially when I cut my short, my, when I, especially when I cut my hair. Jack Black, we crushed it, bro. I'm still trying to shake it. That's what's going to say on my tombstone. Jack, post-apocalyptic seaplane pilot, black. <laughs> yeah. He, he, I love that they interviewed Jack Black. He's, he's in, like, like a scene on, How did they get involved in the project? The script was badass. It was like a wet road warrior, and it was shooting in Hawaii. It's just like one line. A wet road warrior. That's, a better, yeah. that's already a better log line. A wet yeah. road warrior. Um, and then my last film fact, like I said, it's been put in a lot of different theme parks at Universal Studios, and it's actually responsible for a lawsuit, is what it was between between the um, the riders and um, 
the Universe Studios. So basically, him and David Toohey, the other writer of the movie, Peter Rader, Peter Rader and David Toohey, had to team up and file a lawsuit, I think, against Universe Studios because they kind of established this pioneering court case that allowed screenwriters to receive compensation when their films are adapted into theme park attractions. That's awesome. Uh, after the release of the movie, the Writers Guild approached us and said, we can use Waterworld as a test case to set a precedent. Uh, it took us a really long time, but we did prevail. We demanded to see a transcript of the actual stunt show, which was basically a 20-minute version of our work. We did an analysis of the script, and David came with a block of dialogue from a paragraph that was not in the final movie. It was an unused draft verbatim. So they had proof, and now writers get a minimum guarantee if their work is exploited in a theme park. That's awesome. So thank you, Waterworld. Thank you, Waterworld. You did so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's also, and this is not a film fact, but I remember there was a, that one of the guys like got lost at sea at one point that was like on stunt. Oh, I'll cut that in mind. Forget it. It's I said a lot oh, about like, the, like a stunt, a stunt man. A lost? stunt guy lost at sea one time. <laughs> man, we'll cut it. Um, uh, it's funny. It was supposed though. to be coming back home or whatever on like his, on his like jet ski, and apparently like it got washed away, and uh, and they're like we can't find him, and they had to like go in a helicopter and like go find him. He was like out at sea, and they're like we almost lost him. <laughs> oh shit! And they brought him back. That was, that was like the big. That, that, I think they asked Kevin Reynolds what was the scariest moment. He was like when I got word that like we might have lost somebody at sea. <laughs> And we had to go and find the guy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's wild. Um, but yeah, so awards. The Beatrice Strait Award. Actor actually in scenes that kills it. Are you going to give it to the oil guy? I kind of want to give it to the oil guy. Where's my, I, what's my guy's name? It's not Depth Gage? It might be. William Preston? It is, it, it, yeah, you're right. It is Depth yeah, Gage. That, right. that sounds like it. William Preston. Let's see. I wanna, yeah, I think William Preston's my guy for this one. I would he also... Was, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say I would also like to nominate Michael Jeter as Gregor if if you can if he he's not great. in if he's in not they're in both good scenes, if he's not in too many scenes they're I mean. both good in this yeah. yeah they're both good in this but I do love the the depth gauge the, the oil guy. he does a, he does a lot he does a lot less With literally two scenes two scenes <laughs> and, and the second scene is just a line but just just like think about that guy's world <laughs> yeah my, again uh, oh thank God <laughs> when it's about to blow up but no, he's great and I I do love. Michael Jeter. I mean, he's just one of my favorite he's character a actors. He's great character of the 90s. actor. Yeah. 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 He he died young. Uh, he died at 50. Um, I think, I think, uh, Preston was also young. I'm fine with, I'm, I don't know if I've ever split the, the, the vote on Beatrice Strait, but I'm okay with doing that here. Okay. I, th- I think Michael Jeter is good enough as old Gregor, and I think William Preston is really great as Smoker. Um, depth gauge guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, those two are great. Uh, Amy Potts X Factor Award supporting actor actresses the most memorable. I mean, come on, it's Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a question. Got to keep an eye out for that fish, that freak. <laughs> it was a fish freak. <laughs> I know the line. But I just it's the eye, and it's like revealing the eye. Yeah, <laughs> and he really emphasizes. Well, the yeah, eye. he says lines that I'm just like they're so modern. I was like, I don't know if this yeah. works in this world, but it's Dennis Hopper. Yeah, I think just Dennis Hopper showed up on set. <laughs> he goes by Charles. Make up by Charles. You sure he answers the truck? Make up by Charles. Charles. Oh. No, he he's he's yeah. yeah, he's great. And he brings the energy and he doesn't let down the energy. Uh, my favorite bit though is just like this random bit. He has like that Napoleon hat for like 30 seconds. Yeah. I took I took a screenshot of it because it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well that reminds me too of what didn't work. CGI doesn't work. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. yeah some of the CGI. And that's what's specific. I want to say because yeah. and the same way he's doing his speeches and stuff. You can tell because they shot the close ups on a stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the sky looks bad, but he's great in those scenes. <laughs> 
when he's just like someone what, what is everybody someone kill him like just like when he's like so upset by no one like doing the job of killing him or at one point yeah oh there's one part when the, the the long redheaded guy he's like we should go get him on this boat he's like you think 10 bo- ten boats couldn't capture him, but one can? Oh, you no, know, because he asked, he says we should put all our fuel into one boat. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> we couldn't catch him with 10, didn't catch yeah, him with yeah. one? <laughs> what are you talking about? But no, Hopper's just, it's, he eats up the scenery. He he's does. so great. Like, it's, he is, he, he does become typecast a little bit in this, but he's so just like, very few actors can play it the way he can. Yeah. And make it's it entertaining and not just cheesy. Yeah. Like it's fun. Like yeah. I, I think, I think the, the one da- downside is that like, again, as a typecast, if people forget how like, good of an actor he was outside of these sure. type roles, sure. cause like true romance is not a, like it's a, a few years before this. Yeah. And he had such a different role for him. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's much, it's a much more like subtle, like regular guy role. And he's, he's great. Um, and then it's, it's and it's him going head to head with Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, great, and, one of the but then it's like great scenes, Blue Velvet or whatever. Like, but yeah, Dennis Hopper here is is the easy winner. Here's a difficult one, I think. The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. I'm gonna be honest, man. I, after hearing all the behind the scenes stuff, I don't even know who to to give it to. I don't either. I don't because it either. seems like it's at the end. Product's more of Costner's movie, if yes. that makes sense. But I don't know if Costner is good enough to get this. Yeah, is the thing. I agree with because the performance wise, I think performance, some is, I think performance is iffy in yeah. moments is the thing. And like, I almost wonder. There's a few people that come to mind. Do you give it to Dennis Gasner, who is the production designer of this movie, or do you give it to like Chuck and Lawrence Gordon as the producers producers of this movie? I mean they. It sounds like they literally shepherd the because Grant because yeah. like because like well because I watched the documentary Reynolds is in it a lot but yeah. Chuck Gordon is kind of the person who's there yeah. from start to finish of we got the script and he's the one that got Reynolds and Costner together and mm-hmm. solved the issues with that he's the one doing dealing with the press stuff and but also think about it this way too is like Reynolds kind of washed his hands of it. And so yeah. then they took the bullet, you know, like the producers they did. took they the bullet did, yeah. when all this, you know, press stuff was happening. So, yeah. Um, and just, know, the aftermath, yeah. In the aftermath. Yeah. And Chuck, yeah. And, and Chuck, like, was still, when I met him, he was just like, we made more profit. We, we made money back. They didn't realize yeah. it. Like, they always just gave us the, like, he really believed in that project. And I don't know how much his brother was involved. I know his, his brother's not exactly a, a, credit produ- a credited producer on it, but it's through his company. And he was there producing it, but Chuck seemed to be the most involved. I'm finally giving it to both of them or Chuck Gordon's thing. I don't know if we've ever done a producer like this. Let's do it. So for both of them or, or, one, or for one of them? I mean, either way, either way you want to slice it up. We'll go with both because yeah. I, th- I think I think because Chuck is telling the story, he's the one mostly involved. But I think Lawrence was there through a lot of it. Yeah. So we'll go with the Gordons. We'll go with Chuck and, and Lawrence Gordon or Lawrence and Charles Gordon. Uh, which I wonder if that Chuck and Charles. I just realized. You know, I, I thought that earlier. I was like, I think that's probably where the joke comes from. But no, I, I, I would go with them. That's a, that's a, that's a new one for me for this yeah. one. All right, final questions. So if this movie it's being remade to a show, who would you cast in a modern version of this movie? <laughs> Do we give the Deacon Jack Black? Yeah, I mean, is the Deacon Ray Fiennes? I would, lo- I would love that, but I think that'd be more serious than what that's true. Hopper's given. I mean, I don't know. You know Fiennes can do funny. He, I mean, he can make it funny too. I, I think he can do funny. Yeah. Um, 
I do kind of like Ray Fines for. Yeah, I'll go with it. Let's go with Ray Fines yeah. for. I could see him with the eye patch for the Deacon. I could see him because he he's been over the top before yeah. and like and and seen Chewy. Um. I mean, Voldemort. Voldemort yeah. is, a, is is one of the most over the top. Him in that graveyard scene is so <laughs> wild. Um, you, you mean when he comes back in the... When he comes back in, in, in the Goblet of Fire. Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like, I can touch you now. <laughs> um, I have someone for, for the Mariner. I, I will wait if we can find a, a, a Helen first. Um... Well who, well, who do you want for the Mariner? I think that, I think that those have to go in tandem, right? Because we need the chemistry. Bradley Cooper. I could. I mean, I'd be down with that. I could see Bradley yeah. Cooper playing the Mariner. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to go like who's not the usual suspects for yeah. for us. It's like Chris Pine for sure. Glenn Powell for sure. Like you could put. I him, was thinking Powell, but I was like, I don't want yeah, to throw him in the. We, we, we always throw. We always throw Powell in the ring. <laughs> um, He's our trump card. A younger Josh Brolin would have been good. That would have been good. Young Josh Brolin would have been good. Uh, let's go with Cooper for for the Mariner. Let's go with Ray Fines for the Deacon, and then for Helen, I would say Zoe Kravitz. I know that. I could buy Zoe Kravitz in that role. Yeah. Or Jody Comer. Flip a coin. Is that where we're at now? <laughs> I mean, who do you think would be better with Cooper, like chemistry wise, if they are still? I might say Zoe Kravitz on that one. Yeah, I think I, mean, I think Judy Comer is ph- phenomenal. I just I, what to make a more interesting. I think either one could do it. I, I'll go with Zoe Kravitz on this one though. Yeah, just it's, to see because I, I like I like Zoe Kravitz, and I think you could. I think with I've, if it's Comer or Kravitz, you would amp, you would amp Helen up more. Sure. To and be more you also involved. have a TV. If it is a TV series, you have more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's well. why yeah. I think in the Ulysses cut, yeah. it's not in the theatrical as we talked about earlier. Is that like they give more? They definitely have more scenes of her. They like give more scenes of, yeah. of, of well, they give more scenes of her with urgency. It seems like yes, with like standing up to the elders and stuff, which yeah. is not in the movie, which I think is a, a, a disservice to her yeah. performance. Is that we don't get the, her want as strong with it? Is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll go Zoe Kravitz for fun. Zoe Kravitz, Bradley Cooper. Ray finds. You know what? We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. <laughs> or you just go all unknowns and like you get one. That depends how younger they want to go. Do you like Alden Enric as as uh, the Mariner? Yeah. Now I'm just throwing out names. Um, I actually buy Alden Enric as, as the Mariner. I can see that. Screw it. Alden Enric as the Mariner. <laughs> Ray finds the Deacon. <laughs> since yes, yeah, since Thomas isn't here, I'm going Alden Enric because he's the Alden Enric like fanboy. <laughs> so yeah. All right, does this film fit with any other genres besides dystopian genre? I mean, uh, the easy answer is action. <laughs> my, my other joke was fish out of water story. <laughs> fish out of water. Because <laughs> he has gills. He's a fish. Yeah. Yeah, I read there, speaking of uh, film fact, I, I read that there was like, because there was a comic book that came out later. Oh, like, really? There was a possibility, comic book, like kind of novelization, that there was a possibility that he was like uh, genetically engineered to be like a like a human like a yeah. fish human basically that's interesting and that wasn't it wasn't evolution it was that he was made yeah. to be that way because that's what's trying to do is that like him and him and Enola are supposed to have like some sort of connection right. and it, it's that's not as strong but anyway um it's a post-apocalyptic movie within the dystopian genre um i would say it's a swashbuckler as yeah. well yeah that's kind a good of thing. yeah um 
it has Western tendencies yeah. is another thing. I mean, I think, you know, going up, I mean, Swashbuckler is somewhat yeah. of a subgenre, but you could just say adventure, you know. Adventure, adventure movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Which is how it was, that's which what Costner wanted. Right. Versus Reynolds' more dark environmental warning dystopian yeah. movie probably is the thing. Yeah. Um, and that leads us to how does this film fit within the dystopian genre? Well, like we said, it's like a new society being born out of this. Yeah. The global warming or whatever you want to call climate it. Change, yeah, yeah, climate yeah. change. Climate uh, change, you know, event. Polar uh, caps. Uh, uh, polar ice cap, event. Yeah, yeah, yeah melting. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and, you know, new society, new rules. Uh, you know, we talked somewhat about the uh, thematically, you yeah. know, in this in this case, it's talking about like damaging our planet. And I think, yeah, I think Reynolds is, is and may not in the best way, doesn't fully work, but he's trying to like give warning of like, yeah. Humans caused this. Like yeah. that's why the X Files that X on Valdez is such a big thing. Is it like it's basically saying like things like this that came from corporations yeah. caused our world to be this way. And there's been a bunch of environmental disasters yes. since. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Is so the idea of consumption? Yeah. Is there's idea yeah. of like he said how like the smokers are seen as like people who are like who are basically polluting or yeah. like the actual villains, and it's like fossil fuels they run off oil when everyone else is kind of running off of water and other things and and energy and so it's very much so there's a, a very much political elements underneath it right that are fairly strong they don't work as well as some of the previous films we've talked about because it almost feels like because there's so many there yeah is why it might not work as well so it gets that's the thing about this movie at the very beginning is that it's a very simple movie when you break it down, it's when it gets so muddled in the details of things sure. where it gets a little bit, that's where it gets flawed. It's, like, it's kind of almost overload in the details. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Again, why the universal water world, uh, stunt show works. Cause it's a simplified it's like version. 20 minutes, and- 20 minute. We're in, we're yeah. out. The Mariners return to save them all. The Deacon's not dead again. I watched uh, it on YouTube. It's actually pretty fun. Have you ever been? No. Yo, you gotta go. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's a fun stunt show. Yeah. It's a fun stunt show. Um, but yeah, that's it on Waterworld. I finally did it. it we finally fun. did it. Uh, next week, we're concluding our month on dystopian movies with Mad Max Fury Road, which some might say a better version of Waterworld. Funny enough, one of the co-writers of Mad Max Fury Road wrote a comic book called, I think, Freak Wave that inspired Waterworld. No way. So it basically, they try to make that movie into like a, try to make that comic book into a movie several times and then. He makes Max Fury Road, so we take stuff from it, and Wirewall took stuff from it. So there you oh, go. interesting. So very similar. Uh, that's next week uh, for Max Fury Road. Also, if you haven't joined our Patreon, be sure to do so. Thomas and I just did an episode on La Jetée, which is a very is a, sh- a French new wave dystopian film that's all done through photographs. Very unique, very interesting, and it's, it's a very short episode for us. But Thomas and I really go in depth in the move in the movie. So check it out if you can. Uh, we have more coming out for the Patreon, $1, $5, $10 subscriber fee. So do that if you can. Uh, get exclusive content, and that helps us continue to do the show as we're doing it. So thank you so much for that. Who have, if you're already doing it for us, we appreciate it. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments. If you're a new listener to the show or if you're a fan of the show, haven't subscribed to us, be sure to do so. So you can update on our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Do you have any puns like Thomas does? Not this one. No, that's free incineration world. Um, <laughs> free incineration. You know, yeah, write us a review. Tell us what you think. This The reviews kind of help us gain traction with people. We get more exposure. Give us your, if you listen to this episode, give us your review and give us your favorite line from Waterworld. I don't know. 
we appreciate your reviews uh we appreciate five star reviews more importantly so do that if you can um and finally don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter instagram letterbox i'm sorry not twitter x whatever it is uh and tiktok <laughs> uh david as always thank you for joining me thanks for having me man and thank you all for listening we hope to listen to more episodes soon bye